What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Clocks on the stove. Usual host, myself, Grayson Fisher, co-host, Mr. Zach Watts. And with us today, one of the best safeties in college football this last season, Dane, great Dane Belton out of the University of Iowa. A little background on Dane. He was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. He attended Jesuit High School, where he saw time at receiver, corner, safety, and return man. Was a three-star safety in the class of 2019 and a very nice quality uh, list of offers. We got Iowa, Pittsburgh, Bowling Green, Cincinnati, Georgia Tech, Indiana, Louisville, Missouri, Rutgers, Minnesota. You know, it's a it's a very nice list to have for, for scholarships coming out of high school. Took a visit to Iowa and Pittsburgh, realized Iowa was where his heart was, committed to Iowa. And through his three-year career at Iowa, we have 112 tackles, 69 solo, 12 pass deflects, a sack, a forced fumble, and five interceptions, which actually tied for fourth most interceptions in the NCAA this past season. And very recently, Mr. Belton just declared for the 2022 draft. Dane, how are we doing today, my man? Hey, I'm doing great. Glad to, uh, glad to be a part of this. Yeah, glad to get you on, dude. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit, a little back step. So, you know, coming out of high school, what was it that made you want to go to go to Iowa? Was that like a something on your list the whole time or was there something about them that that grabbed your eye? Uh, not at all. You know, they weren't a school that I had, you know, dreamed about going. And it was usually just it was really just doing, you know, my research and my due diligence of, you know, trying to find the best school for me. And, you know, it came down to, you know, a few factors and just one, the coaching stability, you know, the head coach and the defensive coordinator also coaches my position specifically. I've been there now like 23, 24 years, but when I got there, like 21. And, you know, just knowing they're, they're going to be there and the uh, the history they have of developing guys, especially at the defensive back position, you know, taking two two star recruits and walk-ons and, you know, turning them into NFL caliber, you know, DB. So just that. And, you know, I wanted I wanted to uh, explore the world a little bit. You know, I had never seen snow before before uh, college. So, you know, just getting a different experience on that. And I felt like, you know, I was the best opportunity for me. For sure, man. Yeah. I, uh, so to piggyback off that being a Floridian, I've actually never seen snow either. How crazy <laughs> is that? But yeah. uh, coaching stability, what you just said, that's, that's something that's very mature and you don't really hear that a lot. And we just had uh, Elijah Higgins from Stanford on our podcast last week. And he was talking about, you know, these decisions young guys make when they pick their colleges They'll jump the gun because they'll get all these crazy NIL deals or like they'll buy into the hype rather than looking at something as like serious as that. What what was was that like one of the biggest factors for you when you were deciding on a school? Like what what was it about that that stood out so much to you? Yeah, that was one of the biggest factors, you know, just like that. You say you don't commit for a coach and that's very true. But at the same time, you know, you go to a school for to achieve your goal. You know, my goal is to ultimately play in the NFL and. You know, to get there, I needed a coach who knew what he was doing, who had history of developing and being able to, you know, give me in a spot to where I can feel I feel ready to go to that next level. And just knowing that, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there that can say they do that. You know, there are a lot of coaches develop, but, you know, they never you never know if they're going to be there that year. They might get a better job. They might get fired. But just knowing that, you know, that coach at Iowa, Coach Parker, you know, he's going to be there and I don't have to worry about him leaving or anything. So I can be there not having to learn a new system, you know, year in and year out and just develop it, you know, get better. So that was, you know, that was a big thing. Speaking of, um, like, learning, I guess, different play schemes and styles when coaches are interchanged, did you notice, like, a big jump in play style change from high school to college? Oh, definitely. You know, you get the same, you know, bigger, stronger, faster. But as a, I would say more than that, it's, it's mental. You know, in high school, you can, as a, you know, a talented player, you know, you can – 
play off just your your uh, athleticism and your abilities. But once you get to college, it gets more into like studying film and you know knowing uh, opponents' tendencies and things like that. You can't just you can't just go out on the field and expect to you know be dominant just by your ability. So I, I would say that's the most difference. You know, people always think it's it's just you know the physical abilities, but I would say it's more mental than anything. Yeah, when we talked to uh, to Jordan Young, who you played with uh, for a short time at Jesuit, he was saying that he everyone talked about like the speed of the game changing, but he didn't think that that was as much of a factor as he thought it was going to be. He said the the playbook was what threw him off. He's like, in high school, you have cover two, cover man, you have you have cover one man, cover two, cover three, cover four, and a blitz package. He's like, in college at UF, there's 15 ways to run cover two. There's 15 ways to run cover four. He's like, it's like it's like Madden kind of in a sense. Was that did you did you sense that same struggle or is that something you were able to catch up on pretty quick? Oh, for sure. I would say, you know, that's the biggest thing, you know, a difference in, in coming out of high school. And, you know, that's that's how you get on the field early. You know, I felt like my goal was to go in and play early. And so I knew that was, you know, I'd have to know the playbook. You know, that's first and foremost, the coaches has to trust you. So, yeah, you know, the playbook is is deep. You know, you have to you have to know the ins and outs of every coverage and, and how to how to use it against different formations and things like that. So. You know, and that, that's what separates, you know, really talented players from the, you know, people who are like really good players. You know, you can be just talented and not, you know, get the playbook and you won't be able to play well. Cause I feel like, you know, the better you understand the playbook, the faster you can play when you're not thinking about like, oh, what am I supposed to do here? You know, if you know it, you're going to be able to play fast. So, you know, that's, that, like I said, that's the difference of college, you know, that mental aspect. And, you know, I feel like you know, for me, it was, I, I had to get down the playbook fast and I was able to do that and was able to play my freshman year. So um, at Iowa, you played a position which is referred to as the cash position. Now, two players before you, Amani Hooker and Geno Stone, both played that position and went on and are now playing in the NFL. What was it like stepping up after them and playing in that position? Were you kind of intimidated trying to pick up that role? Were you more confident to moving there? And what's it like playing the cash position? I wouldn't say I was intimidated, but it was like, you know, like I said, my goal was to come in and play. And I felt like that was a, a position that opened up, you know, my freshman year. You know, being able to go in and, and take uh, have an opportunity to take that position. And I just want to get on the field. And when that opened up, you know, I was like, let's go. You know, I'm, I'm going to study this position. You know, I'm going to learn the ins and outs and, and I'm going to get on the field. And so being able to do that, you know, cat, the cast position is fun. You know what I mean? It's like, you get to blitz, you know, you play underneath coverage, you know, you're on the box a little bit more, you get in on tackles, things like that. So it's really a versatile position where you're really called to do a lot of things. So, you know, it's definitely a fun position. I really enjoy playing it. Now with those like big name guys, you know, you talking about uh, you want to get developed and be able to play in the NFL, which obviously you're getting the opportunity to do now. But when you were going there as a recruit and you were younger or even in like your freshman year, when you're still kind of feeling the dirt a little with your feet, was that something that, that, really drove you to is knowing that, all right, there's guys doing what I want to do at the school at the position I play, like, like being able to be surrounded by excellence. You know, they always say iron sharpens iron. Was that something that was like, yeah, I can see the path. I can see that this success is built here, especially with what I want to do. Oh, definitely. You know, my freshman year of uh, fall camp, I, I roomed with Geno Stone and it was just like, you know, he, you knew it was his last year and, you know, just, just seeing him play and, you know, we had a corner OJ and, you know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, NFL, NFL players uh, on that team and, you know, just being surrounded by that and being, you know, like a young buck, you know, forced to, well, not forced, but, you know, playing alongside these guys, knowing you have to uphold the same standard they're playing at, you know, that just raises the level of your play. And, you know, you you have a standard, you know, we had a team standard and, you know, being able to play NFL alongside NFL players and, 
for them to go on and knowing that, you know, I'm going to be on that next level. You know, it, it's just a good feeling knowing, you know, the, the team you play with, you know, when you're surrounded by great players, it only makes you better. So. 100%. Yeah. I, I'm a big preacher of that. Were you, were you picking their brains apart? Cause I mean, like just to, just to emphasize people that don't know, like the Iowa secondary is not a joke. We're not talking about any, we're not talking about any college secondary. We're not talking about a good secondary. We're talking about the secondary that led the entire NCAA in interceptions this past season. You know, we're talking about a team whose secondary was arguably the best in the country, you know? So were you always constantly trying to pick their brains, trying to pick your coach's brain, trying to figure out like, obviously something in that Iowa milk is making you all play better than everyone else, you know? So like, there's <laughs> gotta be something that intrigued you or made you want to learn the mental aspect as well as the physical. Oh, definitely. You know, my like I said, my ultimate goal was to get to that next level in the NFL. And I know for me to do that, you know, I had to understand the game more than I did. And, you know, it was, it was just, you know, like you said, picking the brain of people who knew, you know, like I room with Gino, you know, my freshman year, and I was just asking him questions, you know, about the playbook, how to do all this and that, you know, at both safety positions at the cash and everything. And, you know, even people that I hadn't played with, like Amani, you know, he left the year before I got there, even just texting him and guys like, that helping me and you know the coaches like I said you know you uh, the coach you know he he knows football and for me to go in there and be able to develop under him but just also trying to pick his brain to see what he you know he thinks about certain you know offenses and and tendencies and things like that that's only going to elevate my game you know I did that you know all all three years you know you can never stop learning and I felt like you know I was in a great place to do that with all the learning that you were taking at the, in at the time, was there anyone at the position that you studied in college or maybe in the pros that you tried to build your game around? Like, was there anyone that you really looked up to as that player? I wouldn't say I looked up to, you know, an NFL player. You know, it was more just studying the tape that we had built on that specific position because, you know, there's a lot of nickels, you know, in the NFL and things like that. But I wouldn't say anything that quite encompasses what the cast position does. And so it was usually, you know, really just studying like Amani, you know, especially, you know, he was the first person to do that, do that new position in, in that 2018 season and just seeing how he played things and, and how he how he saw things. And like he, like I said, I text him all the time, just, you know, trying to pick his brain on small things just to, you know, get my game better. So that was that was really the person I really looked at to, you know, model the game. Can you uh, just real quick for everyone that doesn't understand, can you try to like explain what the cash position is specifically so they can understand a little? Yeah, so it's like it's I was describe it as a versatile nickel. So we bring it, we bring in the cash when we're going against uh pass heavy offenses. So whenever we're going against a team who runs like eleven personnel, ten personnel, you know, mo- a lot of receivers on the field, we want to substitute a linebacker for an extra defensive back. But in doing that, you know, sometimes the offenses will play, you know, play games with the defense depending on position. So at the same time, you know, at the cash, I'm covering receivers, but I could also be in the box you know, as a linebacker, depending on the, the formation. So it's really a versatile position that, you know, has to cover slot receivers, has to play underneath zone coverage, but also has to, you know, play in the box. So was it kind of like a like a high school version, strong safety kind of, like they bring you up if they need to run support, but they put you back for, for coverage? Kind of. I would say, you know, for coverage, I wasn't really back. You know, I, I would just be in a slot, you know, covering man or like, you know, hook defender in two or, you know, a curl flat in three or things like that. But because, like, I also play safety, you know, in our base defense. So, you know, I got a lot, a lot of everything. And being in that cash, you know, lets you play underneath coverage, lets you, you know, match routes better and just play – instead of just playing, like, a deep half as a normal safety. So, you know, I feel like it makes you versatile for sure. Would you rather sit back in coverage or are you more comfortable blitzing the quarterback? Oh, man, I like to do everything. You know, that's what I felt like, you know, I was at my game in that, that cast position because, you know, I was able to do a lot of things and – 
And, you know, blitzing the quarterback is fun, you know, being able to, you know, get there and, and just, you know, hurry. The, even if you don't get the sack, you know, pressure him and get the ball out, you know, you can force picks or, you know, force him to step up and someone else gets the sack. So, you know, blitzing the quarterback is fun. You know, so it, I feel like it's a part of my game and as well as zone coverage, you know, being able to match routes and, you know, read the quarterback eyes and get a pick. You know, there's no better feeling than that, you know, in football as a defensive back. So, you know, I feel like, you know, both of them are fun and, you know, I enjoy doing everything. Now, I'll tell you this right now, as someone that, that's personally played with Dane and also watched him his whole uh, high school college career, he's not very scared of contact. So when he's brought up, he's definitely not scared to drop a shoulder. I can tell you that sure. experience. But let's, uh, let's back up a little bit. You know, so Iowa, as we talked about, are unbelievably talented secondary. But let's talk about Iowa, the school itself, too. Like, do you remember your first visit going there with the wave and every single game sold out and stuff like that? Like, do you, do you could you step us through your first visit there? Was it, a, I'm assuming it was a home game? Oh, uh, definitely. So I actually took an official visit in the summer. It was right when they started doing like early official visits. So it wasn't during the game, but my first official visit, you know, I would say just landing uh, at the airport and getting picked up by, you know, one of the, uh, facility people, one of the ma managers or something like that. It was just a lot different. You know, I, I've grown up in Tampa, you know, a, a big, a bigger city and just landing there and, you know, driving probably like 20 minutes to the, uh, to Iowa city where the university is, this is like a lot different. You know, you see a lot of open fields and, you know, like the, the stereotypical Iowa, you know, thought or mindset, you know, just grasslands, cornfields, things like that. But, you know, getting on campus, it was just, you know, it was a great feeling, you know, even in the summer, it wasn't a lot of people there, but just just the vibe around campus. And, you know, it's not a it's not a huge spread out campus, so it's pretty tight. And, you know, they love football players. You know, they love football. And they always say, like, you know, there's no pro team, so they treat you like the pro team. So it's like all eyes on you. And, you know, I felt like that was also a big thing going into the recruiting process. I wanted to play in front of, you know, a fan base that really cared about football. You know, you can go to, like, a school like, like a basketball school that, you know, it might be a good football team, but they, they don't – the fans don't really care. You know, I wanted to play in front of someone who really cares. So being in front of, you know, in that city. And then I would say during my senior season after I committed, so I committed the summer right before my senior season, I went up for the Wisconsin game. Uh, I would say like late September. And we ended up losing that game, but uh, it was just an electric environment, man. That was my first Iowa game. And it was crazy. Like you said, packed out, you know, striped game. So like the sections were black and yellow. Man, it was just it was just a crazy environment. And after seeing that, that just kind of verified, you know, my decision. Like, this is where I want to be. You know, I want to play football in front of these people. So, you know, it was just crazy for sure. Yeah, dude, that, you see that all the time. Like, when they show, like, the – you'll see it when the, the upcoming season comes and they're doing, like, the pre-hype Iowa fan base is always in that video every mm -hmm. single time. You know, and you're talking about the, the basketball. Yeah, you guys aren't a basketball school, but you guys are a very good athletic school. I mean – one of the best football programs in the country. I saw an article yesterday that said you guys were one of five teams in the entire NCAA that stayed ranked all, I think, 16 seasons of the AP poll. You know, that's that's very good football. On top of that, um, unbelievable basketball program. You just had, uh, what's his, Garza, right? He yeah, just Luka came out of there, went to the draft. And let's not forget the best wrestling powerhouse of all time to ever exist at the yeah. university. So was being surrounded by other good sports teams something that, that motivated you a little too? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, you kind of have that internal competition and, you know, just friendly competition, knowing, like, who's going to be the better, have the better season. And, you know, you see those guys around campus and, you know, at the uh, Jardine Learning Center where it's just for uh, student athletes at, the, at Iowa. And, you know, you see them throughout there, you know, just just that friendly competition and knowing that, you know, we're all working, we're all succeeding. It's, 
it's a good feeling. You know, you don't just want to go to a school that you're just good at football or just good at basketball, you know, having in that whole entire athletic program that, you know, is successful, you know, that just shows that, you know, each, each uh, team is working, you know, nobody's, I would say better than the other, like on campus, you know, we're all athletes and we're all, you know, at, on the same level. So I felt like it was a good, a good feeling for sure. Did you ever get the chance to go to any of the other um, sports games? Like, were you able to see some other crazy environments outside of football that you really enjoyed or that you can remember? Oh, Please for tell sure. Me you went to one wrestling match. Please tell I me. Did. All right. I did. I went to one, and it was one of the most electrifying like atmospheres I've ever been. Yeah. And I think it was it was like a sold out crowd, obviously, but we were wrestling Penn State, and that's like another top five, uh, you know, programming. Man, it was wild. You know, anytime it was like. You know when you're, like, watching football and, like, the fans, like, act like they know what's going on and they really don't? It was, like, everyone in there knew – like, they actually knew what was going on, like, when people were wrestling. And I'm not – like, I don't know the rules of wrestling, but obviously I know, like, a pin or things like that. But it was, like, everyone in the crowd was so, like, locked into those games and or those matches. It was was ridiculous. You know, I've also been to, like, basketball games for sure and things like that. So, you know, I've definitely, you know, been out there to watch, you know, the other athletes. Yeah, that's something that's really cool. Like, uh, I just think it's, you know, it goes back to being surrounded by success. And, you know, it, it also shows you that the school cares about their athletics. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you have like Stanford, who, when the COVID hit, they cut 11 programs, you know, and you had all these schools that, that were cutting programs. And it's nice, I feel like, from your perspective, to know that there's stability there. Like, they care for us. Like, they're going to do everything they can to fight for us. For sure. So, yeah, let's talk. So, we talked about um, why Iowa. Let's let's talk about your your career at Iowa. What do you think about it? What were some of the your favorite games? You know, some of the coolest moments. I mean, especially you played on a team that was ranked number two of the country at one point. You know, what mm-hmm. what was that like throughout your three seasons or four? Your retro oh, senior. Oh uh, no, I was three seasons. And I mean, it was it was great. You know, being able to play like you said football for a top twenty five team. You know, year in and year out, and just being able to you know go out there and compete with something on the line. You know, it's it's hard to go out there and play when your team's losing, you know, you don't have a good team. You really don't have any motivation, but just being, you know, going out gaming, you know, the, the preparation we put in each week and then for it to come to fruition on Saturdays, you know, just having that feeling, making a play and celebrating with your brothers, you know, on the field and having a crowd, you know, roar and, you know, uh, in your ear, you know, it's just a crazy feeling. And like you said, with the fans, like you're never going to ha- go to a home game where there's nobody there. You know, we might go to a couple of away games where they don't have a lot of fans or anything like that, but at home games, you know, they're, they're going to bring their stuff each week. So, you know, being able to go out there and, you know, make plays in front of them and for them to, you know, cheer you on is a great feeling. And I, I would say, like, as far as games or, like, best moments, you know, there's so many, you know, to be to be had. And, you know, just even even my sophomore year when we, it was COVID, uh, the COVID year and we didn't have any fans in the stadium, you know, just, you know, being able to, you know, finish the season the way we did on a six-game win streak and, beat Wisconsin, our big rival that we hadn't beat five years before. And, you know, just doing that on the home field, you know, together uh, after losing the first two games of the season, you know, that was probably one of the best feelings that, you know, I've ever been in. And one of the best games I've ever played in, not just statistically wise, like just the the feeling of, you know, the uh, the ending of the season ended that way with, you know, the seniors never being with nobody on the team at beat Wisconsin and for us to do that. And that was just a great feeling for sure. You guys beat him this year, too. I can tell you that as a Wisconsin fan. So. <laughs> but, yeah, man, so talking about your career, obviously, like you said, extremely good. Played an extremely high-level uh, secondary. What what made you want to declare for the draft early? What were, what were some of the factors that, that made you, you know, think, like, all right, this is real deal. I can do this. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like I said, you know, going into college, I felt like that was my ultimate goal was to get to this level and have a long career in the NFL. And, you know, I feel like after the season, you know, I put myself in a position where I, I was able, even blessed to be able to think think about this uh, decision and be able to, you know, be in this position. So, you know, I felt like after the season I had and, you know, just all the other factors, like, you know, uh, you only play football for so long and being able to capitalize on that, you know, you know, I play for the love of the game, but also, you know, you want to, you have the ability to make money and create generational wealth and you can only play football for so long. So being able to start that a year early, you know, get the ball rolling and be able to have a successful career in the NFL, you know, that's, you know, that's a huge thing. And just also, you know, uh, if I were to come back, you know, one of the big pros would be to, uh, to get my degree, you know, I was slated to graduate in three and a half years uh, this December. And just knowing that even if I were to declare, you know, I was going to come back, I already promised my parents I was going to come back and finish my degree. So, you know, being able to, you know, go to the NFL, my dream, and but knowing that I'm going to finish school and get my degree, you know, I just felt like, you know, it was the right time for me. Does Iowa honor that? Because I know, I know some schools honor it and they keep it. They, like if you go back whenever, they'll let you go. Yeah, they do. That's fire. So you talk about the aspect of making generational wealth, just trying to provide for like not only yourself, but your family. Do you feel like with the NIL deals coming on, that's going to help a lot of kids that might not get a shot at the pros to create a name and label at the college level now? I think it definitely can, you know, just being the first year uh, of it happening this past year, you know, people were still feeling their way out, you know, in and out of things, you know, players and businesses alike. And just, but the, the opportunity out there is, is big, but the only, the only factor is, you know, uh, for, I would say for people that, you know, might not get a chance to NFL, it's like, in, in college, they the companies obviously want to go after the better players and the people with the biggest name, really. So, you know, some people like I would say the most the people who make the most money are obviously, the, you know, the superstars in, in, in college who, you know, will eventually go play. But uh, there's, there's a, you know, a handful of people that is really just off, you know, like social media following or things like that, who, you like you said, have a, have an ability to, you know, make that that extra cash while they're in college, you know, get that ball rolling. And, you know, even if they weren't. You know, aren't able to go to NFL, you know, they made a name for themselves in the marketing industry and, you know, they can, they have the ability to carry that out, that, carry that out you know, even into the future. So, you know, I feel like NIL, you know, it's a great thing for college athletes and it's a great way for them to, you know, make money off their name. Cause you know, it, when people like argued about it, you know, they're always talking about like, oh, you know, then the university has to pay them and, you know, all regular play, player people aren't getting paid, but it's really not even about that, you know, the university isn't paying anybody. It's really just, you know, businesses outside, you know, wanting to get affiliated with these athletes. You know, I feel like that's a great thing. And also for the uh, for the players that do, you know, get a chance to go to the NFL, it gets them started in, in that mindset because, you know, the NFL is that way, but times 10. So being able to educate the players, you know, before getting to that big level, you know, that's a huge thing as well. So, you know, I feel like NIL is a great thing all around. Yeah, I was just about to ask you uh, following that, what you thought about NILs. Um Obviously, now you're going to be a fan of it. But do you like the way it's structured? Like, do you think the way they're doing it right now is good? Or do you think it, it's still in the working process and they're going to try to figure out, like, a more structured structured plan for it? I feel like overall it's, it's good. You know, I feel like, like you said, you know, there's, there might be some small things they might have to work out. But, you know, I feel like, you know, there was talk about, like, putting a cap, you know, on players, player making. But I don't think they should do that, you know, because I feel like each player has the ability to make, you know, their own. And I like, I made some money off NIL, but I, I didn't make the top, you know, I wasn't in the top like 1% or, or, or like 5%. Yeah. So, but like just knowing that, you know, people have the ability to make money off their name, you know, that's what they earn. That's what they, 
they've put together since they, you know, they got, they stepped foot in, even in the high school, you know, building that resume. So, you know, I just feel like being able to make as much money as you can, because that's like the real world, you know what I mean? There's no cap on money you can make. So I feel like, you know, right now it's in, it's in a good place, I feel like. Yeah, that's my thing about the cap. It's like, why, why are you going to punish me if I'm just because I'm better and, and more people follow me? You know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be punishing someone for being great, you know? But at the same time, it's awesome to finally see you guys get the money you need. Because, like, like there's a lot of – obviously, you came from a very good household, a very good family that raised you right. And, like, you guys were able to put you through Jesuit and do the things you need to do to help you succeed. But there's a lot of families out there that they don't have those opportunities that you had and, and that a lot of people have. And they go to college and they might not be able to play in the NFL, but this NIL deal, like say like a team deal, like I know at FAU where we go, the softball team got to deal with the Florida Panthers. So like, it doesn't matter if the girl's good or not. She's on the roster. She's getting something from them, you know? So like it is going to yeah. help people out. And it's like, if you're making this much money for the big 10 network or for all these people watching you every, every week, like you should be getting something compensated, you know, it's only fair. Yeah, yeah definitely. You know, I feel like anytime you can, Cause like, like at the end of the day, you know, that's your name and being able to not profit off your name, you know, I feel like that's, that's like, you know, not right. So I feel like, like you said, I feel like there should be no cap and, you know, just being able to be in that position, you know, at collegiate, collegiate level, you know, if you have the ability to make money, you know, why not? And, you know, I feel like those team deals are really cool. Like we never had that, but at Iowa my one year, but, you know, like you see it around the country, you see it on social media and I feel like that's a, that's a cool thing to do you know, on the business side for that business to do that and just for the players to receive it, you know, that's that's definitely a cool thing. Yeah, they were so strict too, bro. Like, you couldn't even get a – like, in the summer and the – like, correct me if I'm incorrect, but it was like if in the off season, say your your neighbor was like, Dane, I'll pay you 50 bucks to cut my grass, you're done. Like, you couldn't even do that. Like, uh, was- I think – so it might have been like that. I know if you did – because I know sometimes if you had – you could get a summer job, but you'd have to report it. And they would like track like the money you make and make sure it's not like just people giving you money. It's like you actually earning it. But as far as like, it was just like you couldn't like sell an autograph or like if I had a a game jersey, I couldn't sell that and make money before. But obviously now you can. So I I feel like it was just things like that. Just anything involving like yourself in college, really. Well, I remember there was a there was a Baylor running back. I want to say it was like 2012. It might have been like between between 2011 2015. And he, I can't, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he was at Baylor and Baylor's policy is once you're done with your sophomore year, you can't live on the dorms anymore. You have to live out, but he couldn't afford it. So he was like couch hopping from his teammates places and the NCAA reported him. He lost scholarship to kick out of Baylor. Like that's ridiculous, dude. Like at least give him compensation to pay for his rent. That's crazy. Yeah, that stuff like that is just absurd. Now we're talking about NIL, which is obviously on edge. Let's talk about the playoffs. What, what, right? I want to know right now what you think of the current playoffs, and if if you think there's a better way to do it, like as of like what it is right now versus what you think it could be better, or if it should stay the same. See, that, I feel like that's you know that's a loaded question, and you know obviously you you want to expand it, you know on the on the fan side, you know seeing more games and more the diversity of teams coming in and competing for that spot. But at the same time, you know, people say, you know, they complain about, you know, the top teams being the top teams every year. But I feel like that's, that's really like college football. You know, the best team is going to win. And whether you make it 12 teams or, you know, keep it at four, I feel like, you know, those teams are going to are the best teams in the country. And, you know, they might get upset, you know, possibly. But 
nine times out of ten, you know, they'll be in that championship game as well. And, you know, I feel like I feel like it's good to have bowl games, you know. I feel like if you take – if you expand the playoffs, it almost turned into like the FCS uh, level, how they have the playoffs, but that's it. You know, the teams who don't make the playoffs are out. If you lose first round, you're out. But the way we have it, you know, we have a 14 playoff and we have a lot of, you know, big bowl games that mean something. And for them, for teams that, you know, might be ranked like 20th or like 24th to be able to play in a bowl and win, you know, I feel like that's huge, you know. Uh, just being able to, you know, finish the season out strong and, you know, win like a trophy, win a, a game, you know, against a team you really don't play. You know, I feel like, you know, that's good in and of itself. So I wouldn't be opposed, you know, for them to expand the playoff, you know, on the fan side, you know, you love to see those extra games and, and things like that. But, you know, I really don't see a problem with the way it is. So my personal, obviously, I didn't play Division One football like you did, but my personal as a fan and as a, a, a sports journalist, you know, following everything, I think you move it to eight. Okay. This is my, if I, if I got all control, like I got the God power of the NCAA, this, I'm going to tell you what I would do. And I'm going to tell you why I would do it. I'm going to move it to eight, but what I'm going to do is the five power five champs automatically get in regardless of, of your, your record, regardless of what happened. If you win the PAC 12, big 12, big 10, ACC or SEC, you're in. Okay. You're in. And then I do three outsiders. I do an undefeated AAC team or, or Mountain West or San Diego State goes undefeated or whatever. They're in. Okay. Cincinnati, they're in. And then you do your two runner ups, as in this year would have been like uh, what you had, like a Georgia Bama runner up or even like Ohio State runner up to Michigan, like something along those lines. So, what you and the reason, so that's what I would do. That would be my top eight. Okay. The reason why I say this, I think 12 is too many. I think you can be a three loss 12 team, and I don't think you deserve to be a three loss team in the playoffs personally two loss yes you can you can overcome two losses you can have a slow start like you guys said you guys start off two two wins or two losses and then came back you were a completely different team six mm-hmm. weeks later than you were in the beginning of the year you know and that's that's part of the sport is is facing adversity and overcoming adversity but by making it four i feel like adversity is no longer a factor i and what i think like this too is you make the five conference champions right that makes more emphasis in going power five it makes it more of like a of a big deal, like a, Oh, look like this, we deserve this. And on top of that, what that does is say you're like a, you're, a, you're an Auburn or you're a, you're an Oregon who's always somehow the second best team in the division. Right. Well, you know, all right, look, I'm not going to win my conference this year, but if I have a really good outside of schedule and I went out besides the Alabama game and I take second in my conference, I'm probably going to get that three. So what that's going to do is it's going to make, instead of Alabama or Auburn playing freaking Northwest South freaking university Juco team, they're playing real teams because it means more now. And that's better for them. And that's better for us. I feel like I'm tired of watching 59 to zero blowouts because, Oh, my, my strength of schedule is already there. No, it's not, it's not there. You know? And I feel like it does more for the fans and it does more for the players. It also gets the players ready for a playoff format when they go to the NFL the other thing is I think you, you cut the six and six to go to bowls and you make it seven and five. That way there's more of an emphasis on going to a bowl game and every bowl game is more important. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like I said, this is from a fan's perspective that follows it. That's just what I think how they should do it. Yeah, I feel you like, you know, the argument, but like I said, it's a little question because, you know, even within, within all those things, like as far as like strength of schedule, you know, well, like, a lot of big power fives, like even we do it, you know, you have like one or two, you know, you would say cupcake games and, you know, the fans, like you, like you say, you know, you don't like to see that. Like when I was a fan, you know, it was like, you know, I was kind of boring, but at the same time, like 
for the way, you know, college football is, you know, those games really help those small schools because a lot of people don't know this, but those small schools get paid, you know, like upwards of like a million to like, you know, one and a half million dollars for that game. And so those like schools need that money for the program. So like at the same time, you know, it's like, yeah, you want to see big teams play big teams, you know, throughout the whole season. But, you know, for the whole college football, you know, those small schools need that as well. So like a couple games that uh, a season, like each, like a lot of small schools play big schools for that. And I would say like, yeah, on the expansion, I do agree. Like with like eight teams, you know, that wouldn't be bad at all. You know, I feel like that's still a lot of good competition in that playoff. It's not like, like you said, three lost teams that like, you know, shouldn't really be in it, but they're going to have to play like Bama, you know, round one and still get, you know, blown out. You know, I feel like that's a lot of good competition. And, you know, I, I do see that, you know, as a possibility, you know, uh, as a, as a um, division one player, you know, being able to know that you can be an eight team and still make it versus like, like you, people, a lot of people don't expect to be in the top four, you know, if you're not like Bama, Georgia, you know, teams like that. So, you know, like you said, I feel like that puts an emphasis on players and, and teams to be like, you know, let's push for this playoff. So, you know, I, I do like that idea for sure. Real quick, I know Zach wants to say something, but if we do the eight, this is what it would be. It'd be Georgia, Notre Dame, Alabama, Oklahoma State, Michigan, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Baylor. I think all eight of those teams, you can't argue that they – if they if there was a top eight, they all deserve, you know, mm-hmm. to be in there. I mean, none – two teams have two losses. They Three teams have two losses, and most of them were from a bowl game. Mm-hmm. So, like – Yeah, that's some pretty solid matchups. Yeah, and you talked about, like, the importance of playing for bowl games uh, right now and before and how, like, at the end of the day, because we don't have these bigger playoff formats, we have these such important games. But have you started to notice um, any changes or, like, not have you noticed, but, like, how do you feel about players that are leaving early or opting out of bowl games that, you know, is it more of an injury thing? Is it more about protecting your future? Like, what do you think is the mindset going into someone that makes that decision? I feel like it's definitely that, you know, and I, I don't have any problem with it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you play this game because, you know, A, for the love of the game and B, you know, because you want to profit off, you know, yourself. And, you know, to like upwards of three to, you know, three to five years, you know, the colleges, you know, profit off you. And, you know, before this past year, you're not making, you know, barely any money. And even now you're not making quite a, the same money as, you know, the university is bringing in off your name and, you know, for people to say you're selfish for opting out of the game, you know, I don't feel, you know, that's, that's you know, right to say about someone because if you if you put yourself in a position to be able to get drafted high and knowing that, you know, this one game isn't going to change that, you know, if you don't play, or if you do play, you're still going to be in the same position. You know, I feel like if if you're really that, you know, highly touted, why, you know, why play for certain people? You know, and it, like you said, it's the risk to get injury and it's happened a lot. You know, a lot of players have been injured in the last game and been, you know, dropped in the draft stock. And, it, you know, it hurts their careers, it hurts their futures. And, you know, for us, for certain players, you know, that's that's the biggest thing. And, you know, I, I would never knock someone for opting out of the game. You know, I had, you know, one of my best friends in college, my my teammate in my class, Tyler Goodson, he opted out in, of this last year and or this last game of this year. And, you know, you, you can never knock someone for that. You know, it's a personal decision, you know, something they have to make. And, you know, it really doesn't involve you for, like, uh, to like, I guess, just opinionate on them on whether they should or shouldn't. So, you know, you know, I, I obviously did not opt out. You know, I wanted to play, you know, my last if it were to be my last game with my team, which it ended up did being, you know, I definitely wanted to go out on that note. And, you know, I feel like it's, it's a case by case basis. And, you know, I feel like we should let everyone, you know, make their own decision on that.
did you know going into that game it was your last game? I did not. So it's actually crazy. Like a lot of people, you know, now that I uh, declare, you know, they some people think I had, you know, pre like pre thought of this, you know, at least in the middle of the season or before season. But I really didn't make my decision until probably a week after the game or like, yeah, probably a week after the game. And it was like that game it was like obviously we lost. We lost the game. And just really following that game, I, I just sat down, you know, like the next week, just talking with my parents and, and things like that, trying to trying to make the best decision for me. And I really try to hold, try to hold it off during the season because, you know, I wanted to focus on the season and focus on these games. So I really didn't think about it that much during the season. And it was really the week after that I really just hashed everything out and made that decision. What was was there like a moment that you could recall that was like the first time you thought about it or was it like did you go into the season like, all right, look, I'm, I have an opportunity to go to the NFL? Or was there like a moment where your coach sat you down like, Dane, listen, these scouts are talking about you. Maybe someone hit you up. Like, was the, what was the moment that was like it went from a dream to reality that you were like, all right, I'm actually going to start thinking about maybe leaving early? You know, I thought about it before the season. You know, like agents had hit me up. But, you know, I knew it, it wasn't like going to come to fruition very fast. You know, I had a, a decent season my sophomore year. But like you said, I had no picks. Things that, things that people want to see as a DB. So I knew if I were to leave, you know, after my junior year, I'd have to have a crazy year. And, you know, you coming did, into the – What you did, let everyone know you did. <laughs> but just, like, coming into the season, like, I knew it was, it, was, it was a possibility, you know, seeing guys before me leave after three, coming out of Iowa. And it's just like – but I never thought, like, you know, I'm definitely leaving after this year. You know what I mean? It was just like if I play the way I need to, you know, I have the ability to leave and – I wouldn't say there was a specific moment where I thought, like, you know, this is, like, reality. I would just say, you know, each each game I felt like I was getting better and better. And towards the end of the season, I was playing my best football, and I was like, you know, I had a lot of agents hit me up during the season. And it was just like, you know, I have the – I put myself in a position where I can make a decision at the end of this year. And, you know, I'm not going to focus on that right now, but, you know, I, I did what I wanted to do. So, yeah, I would say just, you know, gradually it just kept coming and coming, and it really just happened. So was there something in your mind that told you, like, I can play at the next level? Or was it more so that, like, I feel like I've learned the most that I can from my coaches and from my teammates, and now I'm ready to put that to the test? I feel like it's a little bit of both, you know. I would say I never learned enough. I would, Oh, I would say I learned enough to be in a position where I can play in the NFL, but I never, like, capped that out. You know, I feel like you. I never stopped learning. You know, you can never – you never learn everything, especially in football, you know, such an intricate sport, you know, you can always learn something. So, you know, I, I always feel like I can get better and learn something, but I feel like, you know, I put myself in a position, like I said, to just be, you know, put, like you said, put that, put myself to the test at the next level and, you know, being able to be in front of, you know, different coaches and learn even more stuff, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the game. So I would just say, like, I just felt like I was ready, you know, mentally, I felt like I was in a position where, you know, I could, I felt like I could handle the next level and I wanted to, I wanted to get there, you know, it's been my lifelong dream and, you know, just not, not just to get there, but to play, you know, a long career and a long, illustrious, you know, profitable career. So, you know, I felt like I was ready. You know, I feel like it was time to take that next step. I'm going to ask you a, a big NFL question now. You ready? If if they sit you down on the combine, which I'm assuming you're going to the combine, I don't want to jump any guns. Uh, I haven't got my invitation yet, but I think it's supposed to come early, uh, late this week or early next week. You're going to get it. I, I'll, I promise you. I'll make, <laughs> I'll make it happen for you. <laughs> they, they're sending you down the combine. You're doing your questions, right? And they ask you, what's the one thing that stands out about Dane Bowen over every other safety in this draft? What What is your answer to that? 
I would say I'm a student of the game and just my love for the game just just fuels me to, you know, go even more. Like what I was saying earlier, like you never you never reach a peak in your playing career, you know, and I feel like you can always learn. I can always get better, you know, whether that be technique or just mental aspect of the game. And, and I feel like that's what I, I really enjoy doing. You know, I enjoy going into that film room and learning something new about, you know, a team we're facing or, you know, just picking up on a tendency and it to come in the game and you see it and make a play, you know, that's one of the best feelings as well. So I would just say what sets me apart is just the love of the game that, you know, makes me want to just study more and, and just continue to be better. You know, I never feel like uh, I settle for real. So on the topic of the draft, is there any team that you would most look forward to getting drafted by or, or a certain team that you would probably prefer to go to over any of the others? I wouldn't say there's a team I prefer to go to, you know, like, like I said earlier, just my dream of being in this position is really just what makes it all worth it. And just any team that, you know, put trust in me and put faith in me to draft me and, and be a part of the team, you know, I'll, I'll op- accept the open arms. And, you know, obviously I want to play for the Bucks. Yeah, just I was about to say, let's be honest now. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm being honest, you know, hometown team, you know, you love to come home and, you know, play in front of, you know, your childhood friends, all these people you know. But at the same time, you know, at, if there's any opportunity I can to play in the NFL, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump at it. So, you know, I wouldn't, if, if there were a team, it would be the Bucks just because it's a hometown team. But, you know, just the opportunity to play in the NFL is, is really all I need. Yeah. Um, is there any schemes that you've seen from pro teams that kind of use the Iowa style of defense that um, you've watched either from watching games or like your coaches have shown film as an example of? Yeah, there's a few teams that, you know, that run the same scheme we do, like the quarters coverage. I know the Broncos do. Well, they they did just fire the head coach, but I don't know before they did. And we had a we had a corner that went there in the third round two years ago, uh, Michael Ojemudia. So, you know, just, you know, there's a few teams that, that play that similar scheme. And, you know, I feel like if I were to go to a team like that, you know, I'd be, I'd be well suited just having run that uh, for the past two years. But at the same time, you know, if I were to go to a new scheme, you know, I feel like it's it's basically starting from day one. And, you know, I like that. You know, I want to, like I said, I want to learn more, more football. And if I were to learn a, a new scheme, you know, it's going to put me in a position to do that. So I feel like wherever I go, you know, I'm going to be in a position where I got to study the playbook if I want to play and. You know, it's, it's going to be a whole new challenge, you know, like these past couple of years, Iowa, you know, I had the playbook memorized and it was really more steady in tendencies. But now, you know, going into the NFL is going to have to be like square one again. So just being able, being able to be in a, a you know, a new facility with a, you know, a new team is, is is a great feeling for sure. Is the location of a team something that concerns you or not not concerns you, but something that makes you want to, uh, a team over another team? Like Like what I'm trying to say is like, is distraction something that you're thinking about? Because, you know, you hear it all the time. Uh, Giannis talks about he wouldn't be the same player in L.A. that he is in Milwaukee because he has so much – there's less distraction to keep him focused to basketball. Do you, do you feel like that's that way or you'll be comfortable wherever you go? I feel like personally I'd be comfortable wherever I go. You know, distractions is a big thing for, you know, a lot of players. And it's something you have to learn how to manage. And I just feel like for me personally, you know, a lot of distractions are really like, knocked out just by, you know, the person I am, you know, coming in Iowa, you kind of had to learn that my freshman year, you know, uh, being away from home, you know, being, living by yourself, things like that. You have to learn how to handle these distractions. But like, personally, like I'm a homebody. So like I stay in the house all the time. Like I, I rarely go out. I like, if I'm, I work out, come home, get on the game, you know, chill. Like I have a girlfriend, so I don't have to worry about, you know, any things like that. So, you know, I feel like as far as distractions, you know, I feel like I can handle that. You know, I've, I've done a good job these past three years, you know, learning how to manage those things. And, 
you know, my mindset is going to be on, you know, getting on the field and, and playing at a high level wherever I go. So, you know, it's really those things that whatever gets in that way, you know, I feel like that's not for me. So I feel like wherever I go, you know, I think I'll be, I'll be, uh, my mind was set will be right. Is a Tampa girlfriend or Iowa girlfriend? Iowa girlfriend. So I met her at the university, but she's from uh, the Twin Cities. Okay. So does she have a preference to where you, where you play? She doesn't, you know, she's, she's, I feel like she's ground, she's helps me keep grounded just knowing that like she supports me, you know, she's a, a big part of my support system, you know, on top of my parents and brother and things like that. And just, she really doesn't care where I go. She just wants to see me be happy and wants to see me, you know, doing what I love. So, you know, wherever I go, you know, I feel like she'll, she'll be there, you know, coming to games and things like that whenever she can. But, you know, I feel like, you know, she really doesn't, really doesn't care exactly where I go. Hell yeah, man. We love that support. You hear it all the time. Oh, I'm sorry, Zach. Uh, I was just going to say, speaking of like support systems, like how much of your decision was more of a personal choice as, as it was like towards your family? Like, did you make the decision more so that you could move on or so that you could help your family right away? It was really a personal decision. You know, I felt like my parents, you know, are great parents. You know, they put me, they put me in every possible situation I can to be successful at the best of their ability. So, you know, knowing that they didn't need my help, you know, they don't need me to, uh, you know, go to the league and help them. You know, I feel like everything they do is is for the betterment of uh, me and my brother, you know, to make us the best, you know, human beings we can. So it was really all personal decision. You know, I feel like they were, they were going to, uh, you know, support me any decision I made. And, you know, they were just there to help me, you know, through the ins and outs and every, you know, pros and cons and things like that. So it was really just a personal decision, you know, at the, at, at the base of it. So going to back up a little bit, go back to the, the actual playing at Iowa. Let's what, what would you say was the best atmosphere that you played in home or away? What was like the one that you'll never forget? What would you say was the absolute worst the one that you're like, damn, I never want to play in that atmosphere again. So I'm going to start with the, the worst one because I do want to end on the best one. Okay. So the worst one, the worst atmosphere is so I don't want to bash nobody, but I would say it's got to be Northwestern. Just like the just the state like the stadium school, you know, is right close to the water, you know, in in uh, I think Evanston or somewhere around Chicago. But it's just like the fans, they don't have a lot of fans that come to the game. It's just like my freshman year, we played out there and we had more fans than they did. So and it was like half the stadium was empty. So that, that was probably the worst. You know, like it has like really thick uh, grass. So it's like hard to cut and things like that. You get stuck a little bit. So I'll say that's the that's the worst atmosphere, you know, just as far as, far as teams we play. But I would say the best was definitely at Iowa when we played Penn State this past year. The stadium, but I've never heard a stadium go more wild. Like, it was so crazy. We had them backed up. They had, like, three false starts in a row, like, back-to-back-to-back plays. It was like they couldn't hear anything. The crowd, like, I couldn't hear anything. We just, like, like on defense, we're doing hand signals. We can't hear, like, people next to us. And we're just, like, we're pumped. Like, we definitely feed off that. And for them to get that, and we just kept backing them up and getting tackled for losses, like, they couldn't hear anything. And, that was the one of the most craziest like environments I've ever played in for sure. So that was definitely without an argument, top 10 game this season was when you guys oh, yeah. Penn State. Unbelievable. Does that when when you're in that position, like you you feel the crowd and everything, like how how are you feeling there? Like when it's getting so loud, you can't even hear yourself breathe. Like that's gotta be something that just gets you going. Oh, definitely. Especially like on third downs, you know, when you have a chance to get off the field and make a play and the crowd is going crazy. It's just like you get that extra sense, like, man, this is 
this is college football. Like, this is what I, like, came here to do. Mm-hmm. And just being able to be in that situation, you know, with, with fans that really care and that really, like, have an impact on the game for sure. Like, like, like you see, like, they couldn't even hear the cadence. And, like, for a team to have that, you know, fans like that, it's crazy. And, you know, that matchup, like you said, like, top whatever game, that was like a three-versus-four matchup. And that was, man, that was one of the craziest games I ever played in for sure. So – Speaking of like that intensity and like, especially that adrenaline rush you get from the fans, how are you able to recreate that or keep that same level of intensity during the COVID season? Because I know when the fans aren't there, there's a lot of different changes to the game. Mm-hmm. Like I know from a fan's perspective, it's a little weirder because like you can actually hear the hits a little more. I know we talked about this last week, but like the fans being the 12th man in a sense, it's like, how are you able to keep up that same level of intensity? You know, like you said, it is a lot different, you know, and, and some teams try to pump in like fake noise. And it was just weird because you hear like noise, but you like, you know, there's no one there. And it was really just, you know, at the end of the day for me, it was like, man, I'm playing football and at a at a high level, at a, a big collegiate program. And this is what I dreamed of. So like, let's, let, you know, let's go make a play. And it was really, it has to come down to, you know, the one to, you know, internally, like, you know, like you said, you don't really have that hype coming outside from like fans or things like that. So when you're on the field, you know, everybody has to bring bring their own intensity, bring their own, you know, juice. So it really, for me, just came down to like, you know, I love this game and like, this is what I want to do. I want to make a play. Like, I love to do that. So let's do it. Like, regardless of the, you know, the fans. And to be honest, like in between a play, you don't hear the fans. It's really like, or like, during the while the play is going, you don't really hear the fans. Like in between is when you really like hear them. So like in the COVID year, like once the play going, like it, it really didn't matter. You were locked in on your keys and locked in on what you were supposed to do. So, you know, in that sense, it, it wasn't that hard to, you know, kind of, you know, feel your way through that season. Sure. So we talked a lot, like we said, we talked to Elijah Higgins last week. And one big thing we talked with him about was, so he's wide receiver at Stanford. He said the strategic aspect, of not having the fans made it like kind of a different game of football. Could, could you agree to this? Like, could you say like it, it strategically changed the game a little bit, not, not having that 12th man or not having that, those people there? I feel like you can definitely say that, you know, a lot of times throughout games, you, you ride the ebbs and flows and, you know, when, when, when you, when you get the crowd going, you know, like if you're coming back, come from behind, you made a few really good plays, you know, that crowd puts a little more intensity in the game and you start to play better. So, you had to learn how to you had to learn how to play without that. You know, you had to learn how to play like true football with no like momentum swings for real. Like you might have a pick. It might be a momentum swing, but it's not the same momentum swing as when you have, you know, 70, 80, 90,000 fans, you know, screaming and like getting in the ear of the other team. So, you know, you had to you had to know how to, to, to really control like playing without, you know, that, that extra intensity coming. And it really helped like on the road too, like like teams that have really crazy environments like. My sophomore year, we played at Penn State. At Penn State, you know that's one of the that's like the second biggest stadium, yeah. like that, and they go crazy with the wideouts. But like, so like there was no fans. So like being able to you know have a calm game on the road for like our quarterback, or our offense, you know, it definitely helps. So you know, it's definitely a lot different for sure. You were saying it was also sorry, Zach, real quick. You were saying also strategic because their offense, when it's like a uh, a big game and they can't hear, they have to do more like signals which then can be studied on film and stuff versus when there was no one there, they could be verbal, which he said was like much better for their offensive plays, as well as it was a lot harder for defenses to figure them out because they couldn't study calls. Did you, was that something you also could, could support? Oh, definitely. You know, we feel like anytime we came off the field, you know, whenever we get a stop or anything, we're just talking amongst each other. Like, did you see the hand signal he did? 
and what Rowdy did. So, like, next time we're looking for that. And that, that's definitely something you pick up on, you know, as you become a student of the game and when you get, you know, more, you know, more game reps, you know, that's something you're able to pick up on. And just being able to see that and knowing that, you know, they couldn't talk. So we're getting, we're getting like, you know, extra signs that, you know, they're not showing everybody else. And that really just adds to, you know, the game that you're being able to play and allows you to play faster for sure. Was there anything, I know we talked a lot about the benefits, um, especially for you and on your side of the ball, was there any drawbacks that came from quieter environments? Like, was there anything your defense had to change, whether it be audible calls or like switching to hand signals, even with no noise or were you still just like fine throughout? I feel like we were fine throughout, you know, as far as the defensive side, like, you know, anytime we're playing at a away stadium, you know, they're a smart crowd is going to be quiet for their offense. So, you know, we were used to, you know, that thing, like able to communicate, you know, whether that be verbal or hand signals, you know, we have a different, we have different hand signals for like different calls and like maybe two for one call, things like that, just to switch it up. So like you said, teams can't really pick up on that you know, very well. So, you know, I feel like we were suited for either, you know, whether that be loud environments or quiet, you know, I feel like it was really just communication. And it really came down on defense. If we're on the same page and everyone's doing the job, we'll be successful. Like whether the the other team knows, you know, what coverage we're in or not, you know, I feel like if we do exactly what we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be doing that, we'll be good. So I feel like it really came down to that. Now, um, sorry, was there a game that you were like, in particularly nervous for that throughout your three years that you were like, like there's a lot of pressure, like any aspect at all. Do you, do you remember if you were like a little extra nervous for a certain game? I really can't recall, you know, a game I was extra nervous and it's really crazy when people ask if I get nervous for, you know, the games and my answer is really no. Like I never really got nervous for a college game. And it's really crazy that I tell people I was more nervous for high school games than I was for college games. And I felt like it was because, like, you know who's in the stands in high school. Like, you can hear the distinct voices and things like that. But in college, it's like, you know, you really can't pick out a certain person. You don't know, like, who's where and things like that. You're just going out. You're hearing a collective roar from the crowd, and you're going out to play football. And I feel like, you know, like I said, that's what I dreamed of. And I feel like, you know, from my first game playing my freshman year, it wasn't – I really didn't have much nerve. It was just, like, like intensity and, like, I'm ready to, you know, ready to play. You think it's also a dependency thing? Like, knowing when you were at Jesuit and you were in high school, they really depended on you every single game to ball out. Like, if Dane was cold, we're not winning this game. Versus at yeah. Iowa, like, yeah, you're still a huge key factor. I'm not, I'm not trying to take that away from you. But there's also not as much of a dependency on you because your team is still so good. You know, was that was that a factor as well? I, I definitely think so. You know, knowing that just, like, in high school, you know, you played alongside really good – like, you played alongside good players. But, you know, it wasn't like – you know, there was definitely, like, some levels on the defense or, like, on the team of like good players, okay players, and like people you don't want on the field, you know, to keep it honest. And when you get to college, it's like when you're on the field, you know you're playing alongside guys who deserve to be there and have put in the work and like are gonna make plays. You know, you don't and you don't have to depend on you don't have to like think if someone's gonna do the job in college. Like you trust your teammate, like he's gonna do what he's supposed to do. So I don't have to like make up for it. But like you said in high school, like sometimes like I'd be out of position like feeling like I gotta make up for someone else you know, things like that. So I feel like that definitely is a factor. What do you think? Um, well, you talked about being nervous or not being nervous. I'm sorry. Um, do you think what changed was like your mental fortitude and who you were as a player? Like, do you feel, like oftentimes we say the only reason we're nervous is because we're afraid to fail. Did that like go out the window when you got to college? Did you become more like secure in who you were as a player or what kind of like mental changes did you make to like not be nervous in those situations? 
I definitely think it was like that. You know, I just felt like my confidence level was a lot higher knowing that, you know, I came in and, and did what a lot of people couldn't do, you know, being able to start my freshman year, you know, and just being able to go in there and earn that position. You know, I felt like my confidence was there, you know, over, you know, before and just feeling like, you know, I deserve to be there. You know, it's not like, like I said earlier, like I wasn't just dependent on my abilities and my athleticism, you know, I, I had that, but also I had, you know, the study I did on in the film room that whole week before and just that mental, you know, mindset that like, I know what's going to happen. Like, I know I'm going to go out here and, you know, make make some plays and play the best of my ability. And I'm confident mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. And I feel like, you know, I feel like that was a change, you know, coming in my freshman year. On the other end, though, so we talked about the nerves. Were there any games you were particularly excited for during your three seasons? You were like, damn, I'm really about to play in this game. It was just any, really any game. You know, there's so many opportunities out there, you know, whether you're playing a small school or a big school. And obviously, you know, you have those really big games and, you know, season openers and things like that. So, you know, there's definitely a lot out there where I would say like probably the first one was my freshman year. You know, obviously the first game I played in or I started or had a significant play time was against Purdue. And but after that, we had Minnesota at home and they were on eight or nine. They were nine and no, just beat Penn State. They were eight in the nation and we had two losses at the time. And so we were like, everyone was counting us out. And it was a night game. And, like, we just – we beat them. And that was probably, like, the game, you know, you're looking forward to. Like, first time, you know, undefeated team for me, undefeated team coming into our house. And, like, they were talking about the playoffs for them or Big Ten Championship. And for us to, like, end that end that conversation with a huge game, you know, that was, like – going in that week, we, you know, we were, like, you know, we got to be on our A game. And that was, a, you know, an exciting game for sure. Now I want to I want to change direction a little. I want to I want to talk to you about what's happening right now in the NFL playoffs, and get your uh, your opinion on what's going on. So we got Bengals Titans and 49ers Packers on Saturday. What are we feeling? What are we feeling in this game, man? It's hard to bet against Aaron Rodgers, and I feel like you know the Packers are just a really good team. And it's like you look at them; they don't have like any like obviously besides like Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, you know things like that. They don't have any like top, you know, NFL top 10, top 15 talent and things like that. But they just seem to pull it out and they have really good coaching. They re- play really well together. And I feel like, you know, I feel like they'll be able to they'll be able to do it again. But the 49ers are a really good team, really good coach as well. They have really good defense, D-line, things like that. So, you know, it's definitely going to be a good game. Bengals tight. Is there any, I'm sorry, Zach. But is there anyone um... – that you've watched in the playoffs that you either played played against or played on your team that like you were really shocked by to see him at that level, like not like surprising like a bad way where you're like wow they're playing on the field, but like that made you realize like I played against him, I know what he does well, I know I can compete at that level. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, you see a lot of like for me like people I go against. You know, a lot of receivers that have been in the league. You know, these past couple of years, and it's like you know I played alongside like I made it, I made plays on them and you know, them being there making plays in the NFL, just, you know, it feel, builds my confidence knowing that, you know, I feel like I'm ready to, you know, make that next step and make plays. So, you know, I definitely see a lot, you know, especially uh, being my, uh, just finished my third year, you know, I had two years before, you know, people I played against being in the league. So, you know, you definitely see that. So moving on from that, Bengals, so we got, Pat, you got Packers over 49ers. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm going to also go off that. I want to hear Zach too. I'm going to, also go Packers over 49ers, but I'm not going to lie to you. I wouldn't be that amazed if the 49ers pulled it off. I really wouldn't be. I wouldn't either, but I feel like the media and just, like, people in general will be because I feel like they don't understand. Like, the 49ers are a really good team, 
So, like, like you said, I wouldn't be shocked because, like, just the way they play and, like, the toughness they play with, you know, they definitely have the chance. It's not like it's like 100%, you know, Packers win. It's like the 49ers have a real shot to do it for sure. Yeah, but I just think that they're just choke artists, man. Like, <laughs> they do it all the time. Zach, what do, what do you think of the 49ers Packers game? It was actually interesting because I was on Twitter and I saw this stat um, before the 49ers played the Cowboys, and they've only had three games this year where they've let up more than 274 passing yards. And it wasn't to Aaron Rodgers the first time, and it wasn't some of the top names. It was to Jared Goff and I think Matthew Stafford another time. So, I mean, I guess that's a credit to San Francisco's offensive game plan because when you think of them from the defensive side of the ball, they don't have the best DBs, but how they're able to control the clock, keep the game close, I think that's the key to beating the Packers. You cannot let Aaron Rodgers get the ball and – have as much time as he wants to score. You got to try to limit his possessions, force him to make a, a mistake on like one or two drives. I mean, it's the playoffs. Anyone can win. Um, obviously, I still think the Packers are going to win, but um, 49ers do have a chance as much as people want to discredit them. You know, I honestly agree with that, though. I feel like if the, the 49ers cannot go into a shootout, if they go into a shootout, they're done. They're done, though. They got to keep it like a 14-10, like a 13-10 halftime. Like, they got to keep it low scoring. I feel like it's best for them to keep it a one punch and then coast it into the fourth and then get that one punch. But I don't think there's no shot if it goes into a, a gunsling that that Garoppolo is going to hang in with Rodgers. There's just no way. They don't have the tools. They have so many. There's just no shot. They got to keep it. Okay, Jimmy. I think uh, so. Let's go on, Dane. What are we thinking about the ten and seven Bengals and twelve and five Titans? Man, I love the way the Bengals are playing right now. It's really like. Just the, the excitement and the electricity they have on offense with those weapons and obviously Joe Burrow doing his thing. And I feel like the defense is playing a, a lot better, you know, than they were early in the season. And I feel like – I don't know, but the at the same time, the, you know, the Titans are a very well-oiled, you know, machine. They they play well together. You know, their defense is ridiculous. You know, they have the number one safety, you know, Kevin Byard. They have my boy Imani Hooker back there too. And they just – I don't know. I kind of want to go the upset and say the Bengals, though, just from just the way they're playing lately and, you know, the 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 way they're just moving and, and just the electricity they have together, you know, on, on the offensive side, you know. I feel like I got to go with the Bengals. Do we know if Derrick Henry's back for this game? He he has to clear um, practice protocols, but everyone's saying he's getting They're going to clear him, though. They're gonna, yeah, he's, he's getting he's, 20 he's to 30 play. touches. So my, my thing is the Titans are like the king of choking this year, but so are the Bengals, dude. Like mm. both of these teams at, at one point in this, like there's been a game this year where they both played where you're like, they're the best team in the NFL. Like there's been a point for both the Bengals and the Titans. And then they've also both lost to the Dolphins, you know, or like to somebody horrible. It's like, mm. the, the thing is though, is like the hype train, man. Like, Joe Burrow's got the Bengals believing. They really believe uh, they support him. And that's that, as you know, firsthand experience, that's a very key factor, especially yeah. in the game of this this caliber. I just there's so many questions. I feel like like it's so hard to pick this one, especially because it's like Derrick Henry comes back. How do they stop him? Is he healthy enough? Is he gonna be fine? Like yeah. what, I, there's so many factors. You cannot Tannehill is not gonna win them the game. That he's mm-hmm. not. He's not that caliber guy. I don't. I don't think he can do it. I, I really want to say Bengals. Like I really want to say it. I just don't think they're gonna do it, especially if Derrick Henry's back and it's at the Titans. Yeah. 
Yeah, like you said, it's a definitely, you know, it's a toss-up. You know, they're really two good teams that, you know, like throughout the season they had those games where they're like, man, these – they can make a Super Bowl run. But, you know, I feel like just the way the offense on the Bengals is playing, you know, it, I feel like if – like you – it's like the 49ers-Packers game. If it gets into a shootout, the Titans can't hang with the Bengals in a shootout. So it's really just like the Titans have to play like the 49ers, even though they're technically the better team. But you know it's in that in that in that realm of games. Yeah, but I could also see the Titans just grinding out a twenty-one-zero lead, just gasping defense. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the Titans. I feel like their whole team is kind of built around Derrick Henry. Like I know they went and signed Julio in the offseason, and I mean, bearing injuries, like he hasn't been the player they thought they'd be or they thought they'd get out of him. Mm-hmm. But I mean. The Bengals are dealing with a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball, especially. I mean, I know they got um, a really good secondary. Jesse Bates, I believe, um, going to be playing in the game. So, I mean, that's someone you can count on the defense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's kind of – you know what they're going to do. You know you're going to get 20 to 30 carries out of Derrick Henry. It's all about can you stop him. Because mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in Joe Burrow now. Like, whatever doubts I had about him coming out of college, like, that man is Joe Burr. He's got Jamar Chase. And there is – yeah, there's literally nothing to stop. Like, what he did last week with Jamar Chase, like, it was literally, like, playing Madden and just picking out your favorite receiver with an X factor and going after him every time. Like, I don't know what else you can do. So you got – Still Titans. I, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like no Chilber over five uh, he's Yeah, gassing, he's gassing the Bengals like, mm, Titans. Yeah, yeah. Nah, like, that, I, I got to be real. For sure. Uh, I think the best game, though, is is, is the next one is, is the rams Bucks. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best. I That's a Super Bowl caliber game, in my opinion. See, uh, if I were going to pick game of the week, you got to pick the Chiefs-Bills because I don't give a shit about the defense. It is literally going – Going to be sixty to sixty at the end of the day. Like, like I, I love watching good defensive football games, but like from a fan perspective, like when it comes to playoff football, get people hype. Like you got Josh Allen who literally dropped a fifty burger on the number one defense, or um, did they drop fifty or just under? I turn off the game. I don't care. They scored but, a touchdown on every single drive until they kneeled the ball. No punts, yeah, yeah. no turnovers, and no field goals. Yeah, and that's on the number one defense. And now you're going up against the Chiefs, who it's Andy Reid. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Like, it's going to be an amazing game. All right, so let's go to that one first. Bill's Chiefs, who you got, Zach? You know, I don't feel like the Chiefs are the team they were. I know it's kind of crazy to think about because it's last year – by the way, it's at the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, you look at the Chiefs last year, and the only reason they didn't win the Super Bowl is because they had their O-line go down and they could not protect Patrick Mahomes. They Wait, completely fixed – uh, of course, Tom Brady. But you look at that, like what they did failure wise as a team, like all they needed to do was stack up on defense a little bit and fix your line. They have one of the best lines in the league now. Yet we're no like we're still concerned with the top or the favorite. But I have the Bills winning this game. Like Josh Allen is playing his best football. He's like either top five or borderline top five playing right now. Like he's it's really hard to stop, especially with their offensive coordinator, the way they're running the RPOs. Um, they're running really fluid football. I really don't see how the Chiefs can slow them down. So you're going Bills? Yeah. Dane, what, what are we thinking, Dane? Bills. Thank Not, you. Let's hear, yeah. let's hear why. Let's hear why. The Bills, 
are playing such great football right now, like total team football. Like you said, like last week, scored a touchdown on every single possession until the end. Defense, turnovers, that's what, you know, wins games. You know, you got to make plays on defense, got to create turnovers. They're doing that. The Chiefs, I feel like they're not playing like kind of what, you know, Zach was saying, they're not playing the same game of football they have in the past year or two years. And I feel like just the way the Bills are functioning as a whole team, you know, I feel like the offense is unstoppable. They have weapons that aren't even, like, getting the ball that much. Like, Stephon Diggs only had 60 yards last week, and they still blew out the Patriots. And if he, like, if they need to, they have so many playmakers on on that team that can make step up and make plays. And I feel like, you know, the Bills are rolling. You know, you know I feel like I just think the Bills are going to win for sure. I think when you look at this game, it's it's one of those – how do I say this? It's one of those games where it's like statistics and, 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 and on paper kind of goes out the window. Because, yeah, on paper the Bills are way better. They're, they're doing stuff statistically way, way better. But there's a there's an un, unfollowable factor when it comes to playoffs. You know, there's there's a heart and there's a passion and there's a momentum that you can't you can't track with stats and you can't track with facts. And when it comes to the playoffs, the Chiefs perform. Regard, mm-hmm. I hate when when like in the season when when like a Tom Brady or the Patriots or the Chiefs aren't doing too good, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're not." Like, it doesn't matter. They when it's time to perform, the, these people and these teams perform. You know, so I really want to go Bills, okay? But I do think that there's just a, an X factor of playoffs when the Chiefs play that they don't lose. You know, we saw it last year. They had a tight game. They they murked the Bills, and mm-hmm. they had a tight game with the Browns. You know, so I think that in it being a Kansas City dude, like, I really don't know, man. If I had if I had a gun to my head and I had to pick a team, I think I'm going Chiefs. I just think that the home atmosphere, Patty Mahomes, Andy Reid, and, 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 and most importantly, the experience, the being there. You know, we talk about that. That's a big thing as an athlete is being there. You talked about it. One reason that got you excited about going to Iowa to play in the NFL was knowing that there's guys that where you're at, they're doing, they, they, they've been there. Mm-hmm. The Bills haven't really been there. You know, they just broke their playoff draw, what, last year, the year before? The Chiefs have been there multiple times, so there's a comfortability aspect to it as well. I think that experience might help. I think it's the Chiefs are going to edge out the Bills. I also agree, though, it's going to be a shootout. It's not going to be a good – it's not going to be a good defense. Yeah. It's going to be – I will say, though – I will say, though, if you're the Chiefs, the last thing you want was to be on a bye week, and now you got to play the red-hot Bills. Mm-hmm. Like, you're playing a team that, like, like, yeah, bye week sounds good. Like, you get to rest your players. If you had any injury, injuries, guys get to come back. But, I mean, I feel like from a player's perspective, I would have much rather been the Bills and played that extra game and beat – like, not just beat anybody. You beat a playoff team and your divisional rival, and you mm-hmm. wax them. You literally just told them to get off the field. Like, I do not think there's a hotter team in football walking onto that field. I think – what do they play, Saturday? And then yeah, the other two, or do they play Sunday? Saturday, yeah, the Sunday game? Yeah, the Sunday. The Sunday night game. Yeah. They are the game. Damn. Uh, I like I like what you said a lot, though. And I can, I can from a, you know, talk about Dane's experience of being a D1 athlete. I can talk about that from a wrestling perspective. I hated getting a first-round bye. Hated it. I'd way rather wrestle a scrub that I knew I was going to kill first round than, than a nobody, than not having a match, because I hated that coldness. You know, even if I wrestled a kid I'd beat in 30 seconds, I got a sweat. I got nerves. Like, I got – that was comfortability. I was able to get it out of the way. Versus if I get a bye and I get a second-round kid, I'm coming off no match, and I'm wrestling a kid that just came off a win. 
you know, and that that's definitely a perspective and, and mental factor. I feel like you can definitely agree to that as well, Dan. For sure. That's definitely a momentum thing. Now, going back to the game I want to talk about, the Rams Bucks. Dan, you want to start us off on this one? Yeah, so being a Bucks fan, this is a game I'm actually worried about. And because of a few things, obviously we lost to them earlier in the year. But the thing is, I'm not really worried about that game because both teams are two totally different teams now. You know, I feel like the Bucs have lost a few people, but at the same time, you know, we have Tom Brady. You know, we have a defense that's starting to play well again, you know, towards the end of the season, getting people back on the defensive side. But it's the the way the Rams are playing, you know, as of late. You know, that last last uh, wild card game, that just so, you know, like, like we were talking about the Bills, the weapons they have that they really haven't, you know, used that often, OBJ coming back, spazzing, you know, that off the Stafford, you know, obviously Cooper Cup, you know, the triple crown leader for receptions, yards and touchdowns for receivers. They just have so many weapons that for a young, pretty primarily young defensive back core for, for Tampa that has been hurt, you know, throughout the season and is trying to get people back. That's the scary thing I'm worried about. I'm obviously not worried about Tom. He's going to do what he has to do. He's the go for a reason, but it's that, just those weapons they have on offense. So to come for a prediction, I'm a little bit biased, obviously. So it's it's not really like a, a very confident prediction, but I think the Bucks will pull it out just because obviously I'm a fan, but also just Tom Brady, you know, being able to facilitate the not only the offense, but that the the ball control in the offense controls the game. And I feel like if the Bucs can control that, they can control the game. And Tom Brady's gonna spread the ball around no matter who's out there. You know, people say, like, who's he gonna throw to? He's going to throw to whoever's out there and whoever's going to get open. So I feel like on that aspect, I feel like the Bucks will win. So real quick before I go in and I give you my explanation, Dane, what, what are your thoughts on Cooper Cup's season this year? What do you think about him as a football player? He's ridiculous. And the only thing I don't like about him is that I didn't get him in fantasy because he <laughs> absolutely, like, murders – like, it's ridiculous. And yeah. just the, the knowledge he has of the game, too, that a lot of people don't realize is that that's what really gets him to where he has to be. It's not that he could just like, you know, like he can like shift people in the routes and get open, but it's just like he knows when where the spots are and you know what the defense is playing, and that just elevates his game. And man, he's he's a really good player for sure. So when he was in college, it was when I first started like really following college football, and I've always mm-hmm. been an FCS nerd because I feel like you know there's a lot of FCS guys that don't get enough love that mm-hmm. you know maybe just because of the school they went to or a certain circumstance they're not playing the f- Division one football they should be playing. But he was there with, like, Bird and Adams, who was the quarterback, and all those guys. And I remember watching him then, and I was like, dude, this this white kid is nasty. Like, he is shifty. Like, he's good. And he got no love, dude. He got no love coming out of Eastern Washington. And I would say besides these last two years, no one talked about him at all. You know, he really got no love. And he's just – he's a living proof of, like you said, being a student of the game and being patient. He didn't rush. He didn't complain. He worked. And, and dude, it's paying off for him. And, my roommate the other day tried to say he wasn't a top 10 receiver and everyone slapped him. We're like, the fuck up. Yeah, you're crazy. But going on my opinion of the game. So I think it's really, so I'm a huge box fan from Tampa, but I'm also a huge Sean McVay fan because I met him when I was younger. And I think he's a, just an awesome dude. I just think, like you said, the Rams, the Rams absolutely beat the shit out of the Cardinals, regardless of the final score. They destroyed them. And the Cardinals are a, an extremely good team. Very, very good. So they are playing hot right now, and they're, they're peaking in an aspect. It's just something about playoff Tom, dude. There's just something about playoff yeah. Tom. It's like it doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter who he has. He just knows the game. 
at the end of the day, it's a game. Football's a game. At the end of the day, it's a sport. It's a business. It's this and that. It's a lively. It's a game. At the end of the day, it started off as a game. It'll always be a game. And Tom knows how to play the game. And Stafford is disgusting. And Sean McVay is disgusting. But Stafford's never. He's played besides the season. He's played three, including this season. He's played three playoff games so career. He's one and two. Okay. There's an experience and and comfortability aspect that he doesn't have. And I'm not saying he doesn't have the skill. I think Stafford's a top five quarterback in the NFL. I think he makes throws that, that that are some men on this planet could never make even in a video game. But he's never played in a game this caliber. He's, he's going to go into a hungry Tampa Bay stadium who wants another ring because the Lightning just won back-to-back, so they want to win back-to-back. Yeah. You know, and it's just – this playoff Tom's got that swagger, man. I just – I think it's going to be close, and I would not be surprised in the least if, if the Rams won, even if the Rams pull him out. Somehow they got an early lead. I just I, I can't go against playoff Tom, man. I just can't. I, I gotta go Bucks. I gotta go Bucks. I'm very intrigued to see what Zach's about to say though. Yeah, so I'm a Patriots Zach, fan. Zach, by the way, Dane is a is a Patriots fan who also loves <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just will follow Tom Brady until the day that man stops playing football, but we'll probably keep following him even after he's done. But given that, um I'm more scared of this game in the sense of the ambiguity. Yeah, that's still left in the air um, from the Rams' last game. Although they played played and executed their game plan to a T how they wanted to, I felt like it was more so as a failure of, for what Cliff Kingsbury did with that offense. Like, you have Kyler Murray, you had that offense, and you literally couldn't string any drive together. You had – they fell – for every trick Sean McVay ran at them, like they were not ready for that game. It just looked like they were not prepared for that. So if they would have played really well, then I would have been more scared. But at the same time, like I know Tom Brady's going to rise up to any given occasion. Like I, I don't care if he's literally leading the Detroit Lions against the NFC, like all-star team or like all-pro team. Like I would still have confidence in him leading them to a victory. Um, Bucks and with a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball, Obviously, they already lost early in the year, but like Dane said, definitely not the same team anymore. Um, I think the Bucs are going to pull it out, though. I think the smart thing to do would be to force the ball into Matthew Stafford's hands, force him to make the mistakes that he's had. Because we've seen games this year where he's thrown, Mm -hmm. like, unacceptable picks, like just playing, like, rookie mistakes that he's made at times when forced uh, to make a big play. So um, give your defense a chance to make him make mistakes, and then when Tom has the ball, let him game manage, let him slow the game down to where you can get Lenny involved. I mean, you have playoff Lenny back, use him. One of the big things lost was they weren't going to a lot of check downs because they only had Bernard and um, Keyshawn Vaughn and Keyshawn's hands aren't really like solidified in the pros yet, but Lenny's are, and he can run in between the tackles and you got Gronk, you got Mike Evans, use your weapons where you have them. So I got the Bucks winning this time around, obviously never going to go against them, but the Rams are going to put up a great fight. The only thing I have to disagree with you with Zach is saying that that Cliff Kingsbury did a bad job coaching because uh, if you watch the game, dude, there there was nothing like Von Miller and Aaron Donald were just destroying the offensive line. Like it wasn't even a matter of what what play calls Cliff had. Like he Kyler would get the ball and then would just get destroyed instantly. Like it, it didn't even matter at that point. They just start doing rollout passes in the second quarter because the pressure yeah. was so immense. Yeah, there was just some instances and plays that I watched where I was just kind of confused because, I mean, they were running stunts a lot with um, Donald up the middle and Vaughn on the outside. But, I mean, when you're when you're dropping back in shotgun in your own two-yard line and you're waiting on an 
like a 10 yard out route from your slot receiver. Like that's got to take time to develop. You got to know you can't call that in that situation, knowing those men are up front and it forced them into a pick six. Um, I can't remember if that was go by two or three scores, but I mean, obviously look, hindsight's always 2020. You can look back and make changes and see where the mistakes were made at the time. I just feel like that was a Sean McVay masterclass and he made Kiff Kings. Cliff Kingsbury look less than what like we saw throughout the regular season. What do you think about that, Dan? I agree with that. You know, it's a lot of people don't understand. Like, you know, you went up front, you know, on both sides of the ball, and the way the pressure the Rams were getting just it disrupts everything. You know, when you're playing on the defense that gets pressure up front, it makes everything easier. Makes everything, you know, the ball's got to come out fast. Like you said with that pick six, that thing put him up three scores uh, towards that goal line, and it's just like. It makes the game more fun on defense because you know you're going to make plays. And so for the, the Cardinals not to be able to make plays because of that pressure, that's that's the game. And I feel like it it is on – like it's, that's not on coaching, but like Zach was saying, there are, are some plays that, you know, are questionable things. But, you know, the D-line up front, if they can win, you know, that, that helps the helps the team immensely. So that's that's another aspect I'm worried about, you know, with the Rams because the offensive line, you know, Tristan Wirfs coming from Iowa, he's – banged up. I think they say early so practice is Friday. And, you know, just other than that, offense line is pretty healthy. But, you know, on those edges, that's, you know, that's when the pressure comes into Tom's face. So that's that's going to be an interesting matchup to see for sure. Yeah, it's going to be very fun strategic. I feel like it's going to be a lot of uh, it's going to be a very big coaching matchup versus where like the Rams were able to just manhandle the Cardinals. I feel like it's going to be a lot more strategic uh, aspect to this. What do you about to say, Zach? I like how you brought up the situation with Tristan Wirfs because if you watch the end of the Bucks Eagles game, even though like they got blown out, when Tristan Wirfs went out, the Eagles got a lot of pressure and they got all their sacks after he's out. I mean, there's a reason the kid got it all pro selection. Like the dude balled out. He's a complete lockdown uh, at the right tackle position. So I am a little worried if he can't play. If he can't play, the game plan is – I feel like the game plan really rides on him kind of because – if he's out, you're not going to be trying to set up all these deep shots. You got you got to stick to the short pass, get the ball out of Tom's hand quick, because you definitely don't want Aaron Donald sitting on him, and you definitely don't want Von Miller trying to strip him uh, from his blind side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking on worse, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be very genuine right now. When we got him, I was not too excited. I really wanted the Louisville kid. I thought the Louisville kid was 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 the next big deal. Yeah. And we got we got worse, and obviously. Dude, I am so grateful that the Bucks got him. He's been he's been better than what I thought he, would, he could even do. And then I looked into it, and I figured out the reason why the kid's so nasty. He was a two-time state champ wrestler in high school. He was. Like, bro, a big guy that knows how to use their hands and feet like that, that's that's literally like a cheat code. Mm-hmm. Like, Because you already know his, hand, his footwork and his eye-hand coordination is elite just because of the wrestling. You know, and he's not scared to get physical. You know, and that's definitely something. I mean, obviously, you know I'm on a better standpoint than I do, Dane, but I'm just saying from – from a watching perspective and as someone that's wrestled and fought my whole life, it's like, that's definitely a factor that's got to help him for sure. Oh, definitely. And just his, his athleticism in general is just, it's ridiculous. You know, like when he was in a combine, you know, he said like two uh, combine records for like offense alignment was like vertical and broad or things like that. He's just a crazy athlete in general. And like you said, for him to know those, like how to use his hands and things like that, it was, you know, he was there my freshman year in Iowa and it was just crazy to like, you knew you knew nobody was gonna give pressure on that side, and just like how solid he was on to control that offensive line on that side was was crazy. And when you talk about wrestling, so the center we have coming out now, Tyler Linderbaum, he was a wrestler too, and 
him and Tristan Wurst used to uh, fight, you know, in high school. And I think Tristan beat him m- most of the time, but uh, Tyler Linderbaum pinned him. It's a, it's a viral video on Twitter. He pinned him. He pinned Tristan in high school and went crazy. So, you know, like like you said, you know, those wrestlers that play offensive line, they're, they're very athletic. They know how to use technique, and, you know, they're definitely good. Yeah, and I think Tristan definitely shocked everyone because, like, there, there was a lot of pressure on him when he first got there because it was Tom Brady's first year. And mm-hmm. to be honest, the O-line for the Bucks was not that good. So there was a lot of pressure on him to be good right away, which is usually when you get a young offensive lineman like that, you kind of it's kind of like a three to five year plan, like let him develop, let him get a strength. But he dude, he got in as a rookie and was impactful as hell. Like Zach said at first, like there's a confidence factor to Tom, there's a confidence factor as us as fans when he's in the game versus when he's not. You know that that's that's just to show the kind of athlete and individual he is as well. Dane, do you think? Um, cause I know we're on the topic of offensive linemen, but do you think the trenches is the most underrated aspect of football? Or do you think that's the most underrated position groups in football? Or do you think there's something else that doesn't get as much recognition as it deserves? I would say it's hard to say what's the most underrated aspect or like overlooked because yes, the offensive line defense line is overlooked just because I would say the offensive line is definitely overlooked. Cause people say like, like if someone lets up one pressure, like, Oh, he sucks. Like, he can't do his job, but you have to realize, like, they're doing, like, probably, like, 40, 40 upwards of, like, 40 uh, pass block sets, you know, a game going against top-tier athletes. And for you to let up one pressure, you know, that's pretty good going against, like, you know, some superstars. But I think on the same thing, it's defensive backs. And I'm a little – obviously, I'm a little biased because I play defensive back. But I would say that's one of the hardest positions to play just because – the fact that you have to cover someone, you know, sometimes backwards, but also not knowing what they're going to do. And everything rides on technique and fundamentals. If you don't have that, you know, you're not going to be able to, you know, cover people. And offensive line and DBs are kind of kind of very similar because, like, in what they do. You know, offensive line is going back and it's protecting. They can't let someone, you know, get around them. You know, same thing as defensive backs. And it's like as as far as like a fan's perspective, those things are like so overlooked that everyone expects them to make a play, you know, every time the ball has come to them or every time, you know, uh, a pass rush is happening, they expect them to block them. You know, other other things happen like a defense line, you know, you you wish or you hope they can get around and get a sack. But for, at offense line and DBs, it's like you expect them to, you know, hold up. And that's what I think, you know, is a lot is very overlooked just because you know, just the nature of the game, you know, you're playing against top tier athletes, you know, every once in a while you're going to get beat. But, you know, offensive line is definitely an overlooked position for sure. I like to relate offensive linemen and specialty players to MMA as in like grapplers and strikers. So like as you're younger in the sport and as you're watching like high school football or like you're a regular fan, you don't really give a shit about offensive line. It, it's nothing. You want to watch crazy touchdowns, crazy picks, big hits, stuff like that. And you think they'll the best receivers, the most impactful, blah, blah, blah. As you get older and as you mature and you start to learn the sport, you realize that the, if your offensive line is the best, it does not matter about the rest of your team because they will succeed. Your receivers are going to get open because you're going to have longer time to run your route. Your quarterbacks going to have more coverage. Your running backs going to have bigger holes. You know, so as you get older, you more you appreciate it more. You know, it's in like in high school, it sucks when there's a good offensive line and the running back gets all the credit. You know, it, su- it sucks when, it, when there's stuff like that. And it goes the same way, I think, with MMA, because when you get a guy that first – if I got someone that's never watched MMA in my life and I sat him down and I watched fight, they're just going to watch knockouts. They're going to want to watch dudes knock each other out, throw crazy combos, like cool slams, stuff like that. They don't, they don't understand. 
but you get someone that knows the sport and they follow it and they watch a grappler, they respect it and they understand it because they, they're like, well, this is what he's doing. He's not getting himself in a lot of risk and he's absolutely manhandling another human being. Like he is completely controlling him. So I feel like that, that's how I like to relate it to myself. It's like the more older, the more mature you are and you realize it, you start to realize how more beneficial it is. You know, and you really don't see it like that until college, honestly. I feel like even high school offensive linemen don't get enough credit sometimes. I mean, you put one of the best offensive linemen in the country, uh, like line-wise, a Jesuit, without a doubt. Without a Mm -hmm. doubt. For sure. And that produced Malik and all these other studs. You know, it's like – it's something that's very valuable that you don't see getting enough praise until the NFL when they're making freaking bread. But that's that's obviously different. But keeping on the NFL – oh, I'm sorry, Zach, can you say something? Yeah, just – some real quick. So you talked about how offensive line and DBs um, you go up against one-on-ones or situations along those lines about like 20, 30 times again, game from a DB's perspective. And a lot of times you guys are the most slandered position on the football field. Like if you make one mistake, like you are going to go to Twitter and Instagram on your page or at you saying like, Oh, you're trash, like stuff like that. So how do you deal with, have you, dealt with any hate from messing up any, at any given time and how do you deal with that and do you use it as motivation at all yeah you know anytime you have a bad game you know you can go on twitter and obviously see that stuff all over all over twitter but it's really just you know when you the more mature you become it, it's really like you know you look at some p- people that don't even have you know social media because like they want to focus on the on the season and things like that it's really you have to channel almost even if you have social media you have to channel that aspect where it's like I'm not even worried about that because I know what I have to do like if I had a bad game I know what I need to correct I know how I need to you know get better for the next game it's really all internal and you know I feel like nothing really good comes from you know that that type of you know hate because hey those people don't couldn't do what you're doing you know obviously they couldn't go out and make a play they would get beat even worse and two it's like they're not the ones going, it's you're the one doing it. So you have to, there's no point in worrying about what they're saying. You know, there's no point in firing back at them. It's all about how I need to get better. And, you know, I feel like I've never like used that as motivation. Like, cause at the end of the day, in my mind, I'm thinking the only people that really matter uh, opinion is myself and my coaches, as far as like my play, you know, if I, if I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and my coaches feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, who cares what, you know, other people are saying and things like that. So, you know, I've, n- I've never used it as motivation, but at the end of the day, it's like you have to realize none- nothing's good going to come from that. So it's all, like, internal. You know, if you have a bad game, it's, it's really how you are, are going to approach that situation. I love how you said that you're not going to take shit from from people that, like, obviously couldn't do what you're doing. You know, they're not in your shoes. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we talked about with, uh, with Elijah a little bit about, like, the confidence factor. And, like, I always struggled with that, like, especially in high school. Like, if someone told me I wasn't good enough to win a certain match or, like, Somebody told me I wasn't good enough to beat someone. I, I I believed it. I was like, oh, you're right, you know. Or if like a rankings guy ranked me low on the internet, I'd be like, you're right. But then I, I obviously I grew and I matured and I kind of got that I don't give a fuck aspect like in my mind a little, you know, like you got to prove to me you're better than me. But mm-hmm. I saw a quote one time and I it kind of goes exactly what you're talking about and it said, don't take opinion from those you wouldn't go to go to to get advice from. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot to be honest with you. Like it, I don't listen to those that like I don't listen I don't listen to criticism from people that I wouldn't go to to help me get better anyways Mm -hmm. you know and I feel like that's something kind of tying in with what you said that really made me dial in a lot and kind of block out these these Twitter bots and all these people that just love to talk shit and get you stirred up definitely so I'm sorry sorry. 
Yeah. So along the lines of like what Grayson was saying, at least we're like moving forward, you look back on things and you're able to grow and learn from it. Is there anything that you would tell yourself going back to when you first stepped on campus at Iowa or maybe to a kid that's committing now and getting ready to go to college? Would there be any advice that you'd want to draw home to them now or like want to really get across to them to help them be better? And they're uh, not only football careers, but as like a man, like growing up mm-hmm. out of college. Yeah, like if you sat down with with eighteen year old Dane Bowen right now, like what would what would you say to him? I would just say, you know, you are you make you are the one who makes this experience the way you want it to be, and you know, there's so many ways that so many you know roads that can come out of you know this college experience for a football player. You know, there's a lot of people who don't make it to the league. There's a lot of people who get in trouble. There's a lot of people who play and like might get to the league but barely play, but and then there's a lot of people who are successful on both the collegiate and professional level. And it's really everything you're doing is either positively affecting you or negatively affecting you. And I feel like, you know, I feel like that's what I kind of understood as a freshman. Like, like when I told you I wanted to come in and play, I knew there were some things I couldn't do if I wanted to make that happen, you know. And there's a lot of other people that were in my class that were doing those things because they didn't. They were like, oh, I'm not going to play anyways. But that, was, that wasn't my mindset. So, like, you know, if, I guess telling myself, you know, even then, so I guess I wouldn't have to go back and tell myself I already kind of felt that. But it's really just you are you make this experience what you want it to be. And I would tell, you know, the freshman that because if your goal is to really get to that next level, if that's what you truly want, you're not going to let anything get in the way of that. You're going to do everything you possibly can to make that happen. So, like, whether that's, you know, not going out with your friends because you got to, you know, finish homework so you can study more of the playbook before the next game. Or, you know, even in the summer when you have a lot of free time, like, what are you doing with that free time? All those little things accumulate and make the experience what you want. So if you really want to do something, you know, I feel like everything you do points to that. And, you know, that's probably the biggest advice I would give for sure. Was there any time when you got to Iowa, though, that there was not not a lack of confidence, but like maybe like a did you have any like big slumps or big moments where you were like kind of down and you had to dig yourself out that you could recall like anything in, in particular? Oh, definitely. You know, there was a huge moment my freshman year because, you know, I sit here talking about all these things I did to try to play early, which I had the ability to do. But at the same time, I didn't start playing my freshman year until halfway through the season. And so I came in. I was like with the twos through fall camp. You know, I was making plays, learning, you know, obviously getting beat a little bit because, you know, I'm young. I'm still feeling my way out. And I feel like towards the end of my uh, end of fall camp, I started to fall off a little bit and the coaches started pulling reps from me. And to start the season, the first three weeks, uh, actually the first four weeks, I was on a scout team and I wasn't traveling with the team. And that was like the hardest thing because, you know, like I said, I came into play and I hate not playing. Like I never in my life not played except for like a few games my freshman year on varsity at Jesuit. And it was like I needed to do something about it. And so I was really like, like you said, I was slumped. Like I was in my feelings about it. Like, man, did I make the wrong decision coming here? And, you know, I was like, at the end of the day, I was like, I'm playing football. You know, I need to, like I said, I make what I, I make the situation the way I want it to be. So on scout team, I started just like going out, you know, giving the best look to our offense, but also making plays. And I was getting picks against, you know, I started offense and the coaches recognized that. And after the fourth week, you know, they moved me up and then I started getting reps with the twos again. And then by week like eight or week seven, I was starting and it was like, that big slump was really what changed my collegiate career because I had the opportunity to like, you know, sit back and like, man, I, I messed up. Like I, I came in with high aspirations. I, w- I wasn't able to pull through. 
But really what helped me was like at the end of the day, I'm playing football, the sport I love. So why not just go out there, even if it's on scout, you know, why not just go out there and make some plays and have fun? And that's really, you know, it pulled me out of that slump and made me realize like, you know, this is what you make of it. So was there a certain like conversation you had with someone or like a certain moment or, or, or anything in particular you could think of that helped your mental switch during that slump that really made you switch that gear in it or flip that switch? I couldn't recall a specific situation. You know, I was calling back and forth with my mom and dad, like, man, I'm like, like, this is not where I want to be. And they were like, they were just telling me like over and over, like, you know, you have to, you know, trust the process as cliche as it is, you know, it is a process and, you know, not many people are able to play their freshman year, you know, and everyone has that, you know, they want to, but they're not able to. So they're just like, you need to do whatever you are able to do to put yourself in the best position. And then, coming from that it's just like every time I step foot on the practice field you know even when I was on scout it was just like you know at the end of the day I'm playing football so let me go out here and enjoy you know playing football because you know I love this sport and that's really what changed for me just like reminding myself like even when I'm not where I want to be that at the same time I'm doing what I love and that's you know really what kind of changed it for me. So you talk about this kind of bend don't break mentality with whatever life's presented you do you feel like you've had to teach that to yourself or was there someone in your life, whether it be your parents or one of your first coaches that like helped instill that belief within yourself? If I'm being honest, it, it almost feels like it was just natural. Like everything I did, I just, I, a, I wanted to be the best and like B like, I wasn't going to like let anyone stop me from doing that. And it was just like growing up, like it was just that in that innate, like feeling like I want to be better than you at whatever I'm doing you know, even like on playground, you know, little league football, high school football, things like that. And it was almost just like, like, obviously, like, I wouldn't say someone like specifically instilled it in me, you know, there's a lot of people in my circle that helped me keep driving, you know, even when I didn't feel like it. So I would say like, you know, my, my circle definitely influenced that, you know, that feeling, but it was just, I feel like just on, like on me to, you know, make something of what I was doing. And I always wanted to be the best. I always wanted to have that feeling of like success, and I feel like that just carried over. Did having an older brother help with that too, with that hunger, you know, always maybe trying to like catch up to him or, or be better than him or even learning under him? Oh, 100%. And I always tell him this, like, and I always tell like my parents, we always bring it up. And it was like growing up, it was always, because like whether I liked it or not, he was a year and a half older. He was always bigger, stronger, faster. He always had like the up on me. And that was my drive. I always wanted to be better than him. And it was like, even on our levels, like in Little League, I was, he wasn't that good in Little League. He ended up being better in high school and things like that. But on my level, I was better than him in Little League than he was, you know, at the time. But then one-on-one, -on -one, obviously he was stronger than me. So it's like, I, I always wanted to be better than him. And I always like, like when, when we're not doing anything, I would tell him like, let's go outside and like play one-on-one -on -one basketball. Or let's go outside and throw routes. Just like to do something. Because even when we weren't competing, I wanted to see, how he was doing things or like I wanted to like see him do it like say we we're you know he was a quarterback I was a receiver I wanted to see the way he threw the ball and then I'd be like all right let me go to quarterback and then I would try to go throw better than him even if he didn't know that and I would always joke with him now like he was really like one of the biggest reasons I am this way just like wanting to be seeing someone in my life so close to me that I wanted to be better than it was just like you know and that probably was a big thing that instilled that you know that passion in me yeah I'm a big believer in and you see that in success when it's 
it's a big difference of your father being hard on you and your brother being hard on you. When, mm-hmm. when your father's hard on you, it's more of a chore. It's more of a job. It's more of like, oh, he's on my ass again. But I feel like when it's your brother, and obviously, like I said, this is all just my, my opinion on what I've seen. I don't have a brother. I can't relate to it personally. But I, when it's your brother, it's more of like, all right, you know, he's doing it out of love. He's doing it out of care. He doesn't want, to, he doesn't want me to make the failures that he made, stuff like that. And it's more of like a look up to. And I'm not saying that a, a father can't do that for you. I just think that the relationship with a brother is a lot different when you're learning from him rather than a father. And I've seen it all the time growing up with kids around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like, like you said, like when you're young, you know, you don't realize why your dad, you know, is, is saying this, this and that. But once you mature, you start to feel that. But like early on, like you feel like your brother, like even if he might be like trying to like get on you, like when you're younger and things like that, or like roast you, whatever, like, it's more like when you're young, you you don't you don't understand the world as much. So you you kind of see that more as love than as what you might see, you know, your your parents as. And just him being in my corner, you know, just growing up, like playing all the sports, you know, doing everything together. It was like whenever, like even now after games, we'll call and I'll just talk to him about like because he'll watch the games and we'll just talk about it and like what he saw. And like, you know, obviously he's he doesn't he's not on the same level as far as like understanding the game. Cause like I'm in college and you know, he's, he's coaching high school right now, but he knows the game, you know, at the end of the day. And I trust what he's saying. And like, we bounce, you know, talks off, off each other and things like that. So even a building off that, you know, childhood relationship, you know, I still go and talk to him and just like, see, see what he has to say, you know, outside of my coaches, outside of my parents, just seeing what my brother has to say about, you know, what my game and things like that. Yeah. Coming because I have a brother as well, and but he's the younger brother to me. And I don't know if this works the same for you, but I hated losing. Like, I could handle losses and most things, but when it came to losing to my brother in anything, whether it be video games, sports, I didn't take it very well. But I feel like the biggest takeaway was it taught me how to deal with losing for my brother first before I lost anything else. Do you feel like having that brotherly competition not only helped push you, but it helped you deal with understanding how to take losses and how to move on from losses. I would say it did, but in the, in the fact that it just made me realize that I hate losing. Like you said, like we, we hate losing. And like when, it, when you lost for so long, cause like he was, he had all this, all the ups on me, it was like almost inevitable that he was going to win. And it was like, that just made me more hungry that like, eventually he's not going to beat me like every game. He's not going to beat me. And that's what like made me feel like, you know, I'm losing right now, but it's just made me like that hunger, like to keep going, like after a loss, you know, a lot of people like sit back after loss and be like, man, that sucks. Like I'm never going to be back to what I was, but like, no, like after you lose, it's like, it's just that next challenge that like, I got to come back. You know, I got to make the the next play in the next game. I got to overcome this loss so I can win the next one. You know, you don't want to lose two back to back. You don't want to lose three, four or five back to back. You want to, after a loss, you want to come back and win that next one. So I feel like that's what really instilled in me. Like, even if he beat me, it's like, man, I don't want to ever have, have this happen again. So I'm going to just keep working harder until it doesn't. So piggybacking off that hunger aspect, what is what, what are you most excited for and hungry about when it comes to playing in the NFL with, when you get that opportunity? Oh, just being being able to make plays that I am now, but just on that next level. Because, you know, it's a, it's a higher level of athletes. You know, they're the top tier athletes in the world when it comes to football and being able to, you know, say that like I make plays, I'm a, I'm a football player, but not, not just a football player. I'm a, I make plays and do things to help a team win at the highest level possible. You know, that, that's what it, you know, what it comes down to. Like, that's my goal, like to be a top tier athlete in the world. And for me to be able to be in this position, you know, 
is great, but like I want to get there and start making plays. I don't just want to be, you know, a player. I want to be a playmaker. So like that's what's just what excites me, you know, being able to, you know, up my game even more. If you were to sit down right now and sign, let's say, a signing bonus of like a million dollars, what's the first thing you're buying with that million dollars? Oh man, I've had this talk in the past like <laughs> a couple weeks for a while and it's it's crazy because like there's so many things to buy but at the same time I'm a real frugal person and like a lot of people in my inner circle say this that like I don't like to spend money I like to like save money and but recently I've been looking at like a Tesla and just because like being on that frugal part I want an electric car because it's going to save me money but also you know Teslas are are sp- like sporty in a way like they're really fast you know zero to 60 they they have- three aspect of them too. exactly so like i've been looking at teslas and that probably might that might be the first you know purchase but other than that obviously you know you got to get an apartment things like that but outside of that you know i'm a real frugal person like i might spoil myself every once in a while but i do like to save money so it'll, it'll probably be the tesla well the good thing about getting like an apartment or, or a house from like that like if you buy it like that value will never change like yeah it might change a little bit but a house that you just always flip, like obviously worst case scenario, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's not enough people teaching these kids how to properly manage the money. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear Shaquille O'Neal talk about it when he first got his first million, he blew it in like 30 minutes, you know? And he's like, there's not enough people that, that are doing that. And it's, it's nice to hear that you got a mature head on your shoulders to, uh, to, to realize what, what, what you need and what you don't need, you know, what's a necessity versus a, a, a toy, you know? Mm-hmm, definitely. But, speaking uh, of yeah, Zachy, go. Yeah, speaking of necessities and toys, will you buy the first Madden that you star in? I feel like I have to. You know, that's just like that's like a rite of passage. You know, going being able to get to that level and like you know, by the time I got to college, I didn't have the you know the NCAA anymore. So being able to get to where you know people make a video game with you in it, you know. That's just crazy. Well, you're kind of technically in the NCAA game if you get updated rosters. That is true. I've had people send me that, you know, send me those updated rosters. But, like, it's kind of crazy because, like, I used to love Madden. And, like, I always played it up until, like, my freshman year in college. And it's, like, lately, like, when you know how, like, people react and, like, react to, like, certain plays and, like, play the game and it doesn't happen, it kind of, like, frustrated me. So I had to stop. But, you know, I definitely would have to get the Madden. And I'd be – that would be almost a surreal moment that knowing that, like, you played with people, like, played with, like, professional athletes, like, on the game, and then now, like, you're the person in the game that people play as, and that would be a crazy moment for sure. What do you think you'd be rated right now if you were going into the rookie year? So I know they they rate rookies really low, and so, like, the top rookie might, like, this past year they rated them kind of high as far as rookies. They were, like, 80 for a couple of them, but usually, like, the first rounds would be, like, 76, so – I feel like for me, they might put me around like a 70. I feel like just a, a baseline, you know, obviously something you got to work for. But, you know, I feel like there's certain statistics they have to, you know, put high without, you know, they, it might not affect my overall. But, you know, some things like ball skills, like just things like that, like recognition, play recognition, stuff like that. I feel like I should be high in those. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, I was going to say um... – have you seen your overall now, like in college, like from the updated roster? Like, do you know what you're rated now in NCAA? Uh, I'm not. I'm not particularly sure. I've, I've, I know, like uh, over the past couple of years, people have sent me a few, but I know that they, uh, they might have varied. So, what do you think? 
if you were to give yourself an overall rating right now in NCAA, just like at the college level, what would you give yourself? Okay, so I did see someone tag me on Instagram, like uh, an NCAA account that they were doing like their rankings. They had me at 93. And I feel like, I feel like, yeah. that's fair. I feel like that's pretty fair coming, you know, after five picks, you know, uh, some tackle for losses, uh, seven pass breakups. You know, I feel like I should, I deserve to be in the 90s. And I feel like 93, 94, that's not bad. You know, I feel like I would definitely take that. Yeah, I mean, from that sense, you're a you're literally a star player. Like when you're on the field, there's literally a star under your name, and we're like, all right, I'm not throwing as bad guy anymore. Like I'm I'm focusing this side of the field from now on. Mm-hmm. So before we get you going, I got one more question for you. All right, do you think right now you could beat if you played by yourself a fourth grade football team, one on like one versus eleven? Yes. Okay. Now I want you to tell me. How bad do you think you'd beat them? And like, what? Yeah, a fourth grade. How old are they? Like, that's like nine. Fourth grade is like nine. Like yeah, nine to ten. Yeah. There's no way they could. <laughs> I'm just like, uh, yeah. There's. I would beat them probably. Like, it depends. Like, how long the game goes. You know. I feel like I would beat them. Too bad they'd have to stop. Like, I just feel like they couldn't tackle me. You know, they might. They might tackle you eventually after like thirty yards. And get you down, but then you go to the next play and do it again. You know, I feel like the only thing that could really stop you is the fatigue level. But as far as like physicality, you know, I feel like I would definitely beat them. I think defense is a lot easier than offense because you just bum rush the quarterback and stop the snap. But if the eleven little jits are jumping on you, they're gonna get you down eventually. That's true. I feel like if they gave you someone to snap you the ball in like shotgun and then they're dead. You just juke it all of them. Yeah, you just like or just like <laughs> stiff on all of them. If you like put your hand out, they're not. You just have to run to the outside and try to yeah, get zoom. attack the corner and then oh. you're, you're down. So, yeah, I would definitely I would definitely beat him for sure. Wait, I think the most important thing to ask, though, is would you take it a little easier on him or would you just like stiff armage in the earth? Like, would you just like not care at all? Like, just I'm, absolutely like make him never want to play football again. I'm definitely going all out. Like, they're definitely going to have to they going to realize that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I got like I have to like I'm like what we said earlier. I hate to lose no matter who is two. And if I gotta if I gotta put if I gotta put some kids in the dirt, like I'm gonna have to do it. And they just I don't know. They got to wash their clothes later, but it, it's just gonna happen for sure. Yeah, I would easily buy a 150 dollars pay per view to watch that <laughs> easily, easily. Yeah. If you truck sticked a fourth grader into like like 20 yards away, I think that would make my entire year. No, just but like, not I would eight never fourth have grader, them. 11 of them 11. in a row. Yeah, just in a row. Just in a line. That'd be crazy. But hey, Dane, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, man. Um, we hope nothing but the best for you, even as a, like a friend, man. Uh, you're always welcome back whenever you want to be on. We uh, we appreciate I had a great time talking to you. Thanks for coming on, man. We hope nothing but the best, and hopefully you can get drafted at the box. It'd be pretty fucking awesome. Yes, sir. I enjoyed my time, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Of course. Yeah, we're definitely getting that dangerous when you get a uh, draft. Yes, so yeah, we'll be wrapping belt. To get, to get signs. Right. You know that. Yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> oh, wait. I got one more thing. If you were to get drafted, what number do you want to wear on your back when you get to the pros? What number do you want to see your on your jersey? I feel like now I've kind of built, like, this just feeling for number four you know before like even in high school I was five and I really the only attachment I had to five was my my older brother was five in high school uh for the two years that I wasn't in high school and I got there and you know I wanted five and then in college I got four and like it was just a random number you know I thought it looked cool 
But now, you know, it, it's it's a good number. I feel like it fits me. But honestly, like, if I were to get in the NFL and I couldn't get four, you know, I wouldn't be mad. It's not like those people who, like, pay for that number. You know, I, I would definitely, you know, probably get, like, a 20s number or something like that. But if I had the option, it would definitely be four. As long as it's not something ugly like 37. Like, I, I don't want <laughs> to see you in, like, a 37 or 38. So, like, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, double digits are off limit. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks for coming on, Dan. Really appreciate it, man. Appreciate y'all. Best of luck, bro.